0: Form of Passion, Episode 89. This is the first episode of the 2023 year. Thank you, everybody that is uh, either joining us after having listened for a while or for the first time. Um, my name is Ace Stallings. Uh, this episode is, uh, you know, currently being recorded uh, via our regular uh, Richmond by way of Bay Area kind of process. Um, if you like this podcast, if you want to help support us and you know continue things. Uh, for $2 a month, you can get an additional episode on the last Friday of each month. That's going to be more discussion-based. Sam and I get guests on, talk about records, analyze shows, uh, you know, kind of a more shoot the shit type scenario. Uh, you can subscribe to our Patreon to help us out at www.patreon.com slash of passion. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, uh, join us over there. Uh, also, if you got a project or you're in a band or something, you run a label, you have a zine, you're a promoter, what have you. Um, if you shoot us a message, actually, I'll start this. We haven't done this before. If you shoot us a message after you subscribe to the, uh, the Patreon there, be it either like send me something on Instagram or Twitter or something, uh, I'll, I'll shout out whatever you got because we always shout out our new Patreon subscribers um so whatever you're involved in i'll i'll try to put on for you for uh, helping us out so thank you everybody um today uh we have on someone that is i mean a great deal can be said uh about this person's impact on uh the genre in general um because of you know the the bands that they've been a part of and you, you know like being uh this is this is a this is an OG guest this is this is somebody that i'm, I'm really honored uh, to have on that you know wanted to be a part of this and uh i i think has you know vocally I and mean, just uh, just also just a kind of in their spirit shaped the uh, the way that uh you know hardcore has kind of uh, turned uh th- throughout the 2000s up till now and the influence that i believe that their music has on music being currently created whether people either consciously or subconsciously uh you know are kind of experience it is is monumental. It's huge, you know. You know you can hear their work in kind of anything heavy right now, whether people know that they're doing it intentionally or not. Um, so to have them on is, uh, like I said, a great honor, uh, Mister Bruce LePage, sir. How are you?
1: Good. I don't know who you're talking about, but that's a awesome intro.
0: <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's it's true when in, in regards to, in my opinion, like hundred demons watermark on hardcore that has played that kind of heavy and beyond. I, I feel like it is just, it's, it's in the DNA, um, you know, and, and we'll get there. Cause it's like, you do, obviously you end up working with the young brothers, you know, later in your life, but I feel like that permeates throughout everything they do. Um, so it's like, it's, you know, I'm, I'm talking about you, man. <laughs> I I truly believe that.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm mostly known for being in hundred demons, I guess, but um, for the length of that band, I was barely in it.
0: Really? Okay. Well, well, we'll get there. I want to. I want to. I want to get it. Uh, I want to work up up that way. You know, as Hundred Demons, as, as you know, a lot of always uh, known as was a Connecticut based band. Is are you originally from Connecticut?
1: No, no, I'm from Massachusetts. Ah, okay. What part of Mass? I'm from Western Mass, so like a half hour north of Hartford.
0: Okay, gotcha, the, uh, gotcha. Springfield area. Yep, I know. I know Springfield. Um,
1: so yeah, so, that's another thing. I'm known as being part of the Connecticut scene, but I'm really a Western Mass hardcore guy.
0: Kind of map that out for me for like kind of like that. Something that's always been fat like, You know, it's like a southern Something that's always been fascinated me about kind of like New England is kind of like the states are small, but like the kind of like what I've observed as like an outsider is from like the regionality, if that's a word, of like you know just over like the the border of of like connecticut or like western mass being soup like you know people are like i'm from you know or someone like saying like i'm from quincy and like not from south boston or like the, like how or how small the geography is how different kind of like people's i guess regional um kind of like staking their claim so to speak uh it, is is that something that like you know, albeit you were part of like Connecticut scene, was that ever like weird, you know, like growing up, like did people kind of like be like, oh, that guy's an outsider? Or was it like kind of like, oh, like you're part of New England, like we're all kind of like one
2: thing?
1: Uh I mean, it's definitely regional. There's sure. definitely you can uh I think it's like any any place you go to shows, if you uh don't behave correctly, you can wind up in some hot water. Doesn't oh, matter where you're from.
0: Yeah, no doubt. So you grew up in, in Western Mass. Was is your family originally from there, or had they migrated there from somewhere else?
1: Yeah, my my parents are from Western Mass. I'm a third generation American, so my great grandparents came from Canada. Oh, um, okay. on both sides, maternal and paternal. What uh, what brought them over here? I, I think work. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, un, uneducated Canadians, worm their way down. And New England has a strong history of Canadian sheetrockers and, and painters.
0: Okay, well, I, I imagine coming from like Quebec or, or something of that nature. Ontario. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. Uh so growing up Springfield area, Western Mass, what you know, kind of like what was sort of the lay of your land as as a kid? Like 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 is this the is this like the seventies? Sixties. I was born in '66. 166 paint paint a picture for me like big family small family like uh and it was my
1: parents my dad came was one of eight and my mom was one of seven so lots of aunts and uncles lots and lots of cousins uh so many cousins that sometimes my grandparents you know wouldn't remember our names oh huh, shit so big family uh and and you know like
0: that it it your, your, your parents, like were, what were their kind of like, what was like their trade, you know, through there since their you know, third generation, was it like, they had like, kind of like, uh, was there like a family trade or something or are they got into something, something completely different?
1: My dad, uh, dropped out of school, I think right when he started ninth grade and all my uncles, all of them, they all worked as kids to help bring money to the family. They were sure. very poor. So he, uh, he started working really young and then he worked at a factory, the same factory, I think from when he was 16 till I was well into adulthood. Oh, wow. Okay. So my mom was a stay at home mom for my early life. And then she worked at, uh, the same factory. Her mom, my grandmother worked at, uh, was like a doll clothes factory.
0: Gotcha. You got a hardworking family. Was like, was like factory work like real big in that area that at that time?
1: Yeah. uh Mass, where I was born, used to be, originally in the 1800s, it was the Silk Capital. Huh. It was known as the, the Silk City. Then it became the Paper City. So There's a lot of paper factories there. And that's where my dad worked at a paper factory. Gotcha. They made um, paper products like paper plates, paper cups. But their big thing was they made wrapping paper, Christmas paper, birthday paper, that kind of shit. And he worked his way up to being a supervisor there. And some of my earliest childhood memories are or go in there with him on uh, Sundays, because they ran three shifts, six days a week. But on Sundays, it was closed. But because he was a foreman, he had a key to the alarm in the building. And we would go in there and, and steal paper plates and paper cups and uh, wrapping paper. I remember all my uncles coming over around Thanksgiving time to get wrapping paper, because wrapping paper is expensive.
2: Sure, sure. Man, he man. would load
1: up our our little arms, me and my brother, with stolen goods, and we would pill for his employment place. Did you just keep it for the family or did you guys like sell it to anybody? Uh,
0: for the family. Gotcha. You. Gotcha. You. So, you know, I mean, like, and that's the question I had, you talked about like the days of the week that like your dad worked and, and like, potentially your mother as well. Like was, were your parents like, were like, they like, a, like around a lot. Did they have, or were they, did they kind of like work like crazy hours and you didn't see him as much?
1: My dad uh, worked. He wasn't around much. In my my early child because he would work like 60 hours plus a week and then he always had a girlfriend so
2: mm, he wasn't it.
1: around and then my mom she got pregnant with my brother when she was 15 or 16 my older brother and uh i think she was just overwhelmed she was uh, not nice she was very mean when i was a kid
0: yeah i mean you know like getting getting pregnant at that young i'm sure it's not what she had envisioned you know kind of thing and it, it just i don't know like I, I've, I've seen time and time again situations like that where that that mother ended up taking it out on the you know kind of the people around them like their own you, you said she was overwhelmed like the the frustration
1: yeah we get along fine now uh, me and my mom i haven't talked to my dad in a few years but me and my mom have a good relationship now um <clears throat> it you know it, it was what it was like a lot of people in hardcore not a not a great childhood
0: sure well i mean that's so that's and that's that's kind of the basis of like of this podcast. It's like, I, the, the biggest question that I kind of come away with is that like, you know, there's a lot of different types of people in hardcore, but like, I, I am always very curious as to why here, like, you know, why are people going into rooms where people are like yelling and like hitting each other and shit. And like, like, why, like, why does that, why does that end up becoming home for somebody? And there, and there always has to be some kind of reason of, of such a nature as to, as to why that feels kind of like their preferred natural habitat so to speak um in regards to music wh- you know wh- was there like a lot of music around your home when you were a kid or, or is that something you kind of found on your own
1: no my parents were both big music listeners so there was always music playing my dad listened to a lot of uh, old rock and roll and old country like gene vincent jerry lee lewis sure, uh, sure. bill haley in the comments hank williams senior johnny cash george jones loretta lynn my mom loved the Beatles, so the Beatles were always playing. She also liked Tom Jones, Neil Diamond, Cher, and show Tunes. <laughs> so, did
0: did you like 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 out of all that stuff, like was
1: there anything that you gravitated towards? All of it. I love all of it. I still love all of that stuff. I'm uh, one of the few heterosexual males that love show tunes.
0: <laughs> Uh so I mean like, I, so they, uh, I, you know, I won't say like a collective, but it's, it's a, like a lot of different artists. It's a lot of you know they, they seem to be like bringing like a lot of music into the home uh, and everything. Did you was anybody in your family like did they have like a that they, they play instruments or have any kind of like talent or knack in that regard?
1: No, they're all busy working
0: sure i mean it's that's like that was kind of like the the question about the music in the homeless i was like you know i was i asked that question about how often they were around because it sounds like they were just working so hard that it would be like difficult to kind of like do the quality time thing um
1: so when i was very young my mom was home all the time gotcha and then uh you know the growing up in the the 70s and the 60s there was uh Every gas station wasn't a convenience store. Gas stations fixed your car. There were mechanics there. Sure. So you would have to go if you wanted a a gas. There were a few convenience stores, but they they weren't every fucking corner. So I would jump in the car with my dad because he would want to park out front the convenience store so he wouldn't have to run in. And I would go in and and get the milk or bread or whatever we needed. And uh, you know the radio would be playing. That's where I'd hear a lot of music. Gotcha.
0: Did you, was there any kind of like, like lean in you where you were like, ah, uh, like, uh, you know, I, I would like to, you know, like e- explore the kind of like that world or, or is that something that just wasn't in your head yet at that age?
1: Uh, in elementary school, they, I don't know if they still do this in elementary schools but there was a program where you could learn an instrument and then you would rent an instrument from a local music store, Oh, shit. You know? Typically band instruments, you know, saxophone, trumpet, drums. So I played the, I learned how to play the drums and I played drums from, I think, fourth grade till, I don't know, I got out of the army. Did you
0: play, I mean, like, were you playing drums at home or were you just having like go to play them at school?
1: I played in the high school band, okay, and you know, junior high band. And then uh, I did get a drum set, uh, I think in eighth grade, seventh or eighth grade. Go but to. I was never, I was never like I couldn't play hardcore. I could play uh, AC/DC and the Beatles and stuff like that.
0: Was that kind of like you know you're playing in school band? Were you thinking at all about playing in like like a rock band like, away from school, or was it, you're just kind of like happy with what you were doing like at school?
1: Yeah, I wanted to be Peter Chris from Kiss.
0: Ah, fuck yeah, let's go!
1: Because I, you know, growing up in the '70s, I was in that target demographic. Kiss was my yeah, favorite definitely. band. Um, yeah, Kiss
0: so i mean so I am mean, right, so we're, we're kind of we're we're getting somewhere with that so it's like you know you get into like like you, you mentioned acdc you mentioned kiss how did you kind of start going towards i mean was that just like the stuff you were hearing on the radio or was anybody kind of showing you that stuff
1: Kiss. uh i mean all the kids in elementary school were into kiss sure They be- they became a huge phenomenon and uh, the marketing was they you know, they made lunch. I had a kiss lunchbox when I was a oh, kid, they, they, they were, on, <laughs> yeah. they were on, uh, you know, all the big talk shows back then the Mike Douglas show, they had a whole Halloween special with Paul Lynn. they put out that, um, really bad movie Phantom of the park.
0: Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. Um, and
1: all that was, you know, is I mean, they were marketed to, to kids basically G- granted, you know, adults were into them as well. But it was uh, all the the stage gimmicks and stuff were really geared towards. It just took off with kids. The whole that time frame, Evil Can Evil and Kiss. Everybody I knew was into Evil Can Evil and Kiss, and I was into Evil Can Evil and Kiss.
0: Good costumes, you know, and in the and the and like the kids' presentation makes sense because it, like, getting like you know kids being down because it's like they have the face paint and stuff. It's like there's something more cartoonish, not in like a bad, bad way, about them than like I don't know, like like another rock band or something that like older people, you know, like Mike, like, like, it's like the kiss looks like characters. Um, It was a gimmick
1: and
2: it worked.
0: Yeah. So you, you wanted to do that. Like, you know, like play like, like, you know, big rock from like the time period. Did you ever like get together with any friends or anything like that and try to do that? No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
1: It Uh, just, it it wasn't an option. I had my, my closest friend growing up, Pete, who uh is where i got a lot of music from he played guitar mm-hmm. but uh in, in those years i mean we're just not i didn't have a drum set until i was older sure and then uh i don't know we were busy smoking weed and drinking
0: there you go you yeah, know just be, be, being ch- children of the 70s
2: yeah
0: um so i mean like what you know away from kind of like doing the drums and the stuff at school like what was what was life like for you at school in general
1: um, elementary school was good. I went wow. to a very small elementary school. I grew up in the suburbs. So the, the school was very small and, uh, yeah, elementary school. And my parents were together in elementary school. So it was great. It was good. It started to go South in junior high. Like, was that, is that when your parents split? Uh, that they were arguing all the time, just like screaming. Yeah. Uh, so it was, uh, that's when my dad was around so it was uncomfortable to be around sure. and then uh, i want to say maybe around when i was 13 or so we were taking one of those trips to the uh, convenience store and my dad said you know me and your mom have been fighting a lot lately like, yeah yeah it's like so we are, we're going to go our, our separate ways and i like all right I'm trying to be a big kid you know yeah, okay whatever you guys need to do to make yourselves happy that's that's fine and then we pulled up to the house and uh, I said, you get you coming in? He's like, no, no, no. I just explained it to you.
0: Oh, shit. He didn't
1: like that. Yeah. So then um, I went in, assuming my mom knew. My mom asked where my dad was.
0: Oh, fuck.
1: Okay. Yeah. So that was real cool of him. <laughs> yeah. I didn't so, talk to him for a few years after that. and then, I was going like, to ask. Like, did you usually not see him for a long time? Yeah. I didn't talk to him for a while. And then uh, I remember getting woken up one night. At like one in the morning by a cop i, I sleep i slept in the basement yeah. and a cop was yelling down the stairs and telling me that uh my mom had called because she thought she overdosed on valium she's taking a lot of valium because she's so fucked up from uh, the divorce or splitting yeah. up and then uh the cop told me to stay awake and keep an eye on my mom when i was like 14 or something <laughs> like okay uh, so you know he he's
0: gone then and like i mean like do you kind of become like de facto like man of the house at that point
1: no my brother moved out like the week he turned 18 um i became kind of uncontrollable i started stealing booze from my parents liquor cabinet when i was nine i started right. smoking weed when i was 11 to cocaine when i was 11 High school as a daily marijuana smoker, skipped a lot of classes, didn't do any homework, never brought a book home. My mom never questioned why I never had homework. Um, yeah, high school wasn't cool. And I was very small. I was, uh, my mom started me in kindergarten as soon as she could. So I think because of where my birthday falls in September, I started kindergarten, I think at four. Turn five, so yeah, like so yeah, you were high. early. Yeah, and I was very small for my age, so I got picked on a lot in high school because I started high school when I was thirteen. So yeah, er, early there too. So you're yeah, yeah like, my freshman year.
0: Yeah, you got to think too. It's like it's like kids are growing like exponentially at that time period. So the difference between like a thirteen year old and like like a fully kind of like been in like freshman year fourteen year old can be like. You know a pretty big difference so you're saying that like you know like like kids were like were were gunning for you because you were small at that time
2: yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i got picked on all that.
0: i mean like, it was a kind of thing where it's like you know like did like did you like get into like scraps of these people oh, or...
1: yeah.
0: okay. okay that was so... my problem
1: i, I had a, a big mouth and a little body <laughs> so uh, <clears throat> i had a very losing record mm. well i mean
0: you know it, it's like you know, I'll, you know, I'll be real. Better to defend yourself, like you know, from like these people than like just kind, of, kind of shy away just because your size. So it's like even if you did have a losing record, you're doing the right thing. Um, My so, mom didn't... <laughs> your mom what didn't think so when she would get calls from the school? Uh, I'm, sh- I'm sure she was pissed off about it, like yeah. especially especially at that time period where like a husband walks out and everything, and and you know, like she it sounds like she was going through it as well. Y- you said high school is kind of like like tough in in general and like you're you know you were kind of like for all intents and purposes fuck school like you know i'm I'm not doing this shit did you did you finish high school or did you peace out
1: i uh finished my junior year and then i had all my paperwork when i was 16 filled out Mm -hmm. for the army because i wanted wanted to join the army since i was a little kid so all my paperwork was filled out when i was 16 on my 17th birthday have my parents come down to the recruiter's office. They, um, sign, you know, uh, I'm pretty sure you can still do this at 17. Same as you can for a tattoo. You know, if your parents sign, you can get one. I see. So my parents signed my army contract and I joined on the day I turned 17 and I left for basic training, like, uh, five days later or something, a few days later. Did both of them have to show up for that? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, interesting. So, so your, your dad was like, like was he like back in the picture at that point or no?
1: Uh, he was in and out of the house multiple times, but he wasn't in the picture at that point. But, you I know, see. I they, see. Uh, they both signed.
0: Okay. So he comes back around and like, you know, they, they sign off, off of this. You said you had wanted to be in the army since you were a little kid. What had kind of drawn you to to wanting to enlist?
1: World War Two movies. A bunch of my That's uncles were in the military. Um, yeah, I just wanted to, uh, I don't know, do, do something difficult, challenge myself.
2: Sure. Sure.
0: And so you, you know, you enlist and they send you off the basic, where was basic at Fort
1: Manning, Georgia.
0: Okay. What, uh, I mean, you know, you know, it's like, it's you're young, you know, like 17 is like, you're, you're like a baby essentially. Like what, what was that experience like? you know, going to Georgia and, and starting kind of your journey through the army.
1: Got picked on in Basic training too.
0: Ah, <laughs> there's, little... there's a
1: theme going on here. <laughs> I look like I was 15. Oh, I'm sure I was very, very young and in a man's world, nobody gave a fuck. Um, you know, there's no room for feelings. It was very difficult. Um, 83 basic training was, uh, quite different it wasn't like it was vietnam era but it wasn't like it is now either
0: it was uh, what's you know i'm i'm a layman like what what's the difference between
1: now and then well vietnam era your drill sergeant would kick the fuck out of you if you fucked up so i physically when i went they encouraged um everybody else to kick the shit out of you okay i see so because group punishment is as far as i know still used in the military If, you know, we got a 44-man platoon and you show up in the morning and your shit's all fucked up, we're all doing Mm push-ups. Because Ace fucked up, we're all doing push-ups. And the drill sergeant lets you know, hey, everybody, you're doing this because Ace don't have his shit together.
0: Yeah, they they, they single up So the next morning when we show up in
1: formation, Ace shows up with a black guy. I got you. And the drill sergeant says, what happened to that soldier down there? And the whole platoon says in unison, slipped in the shower, sergeant. All Mm -hmm. right. Okay. Okay. You're gonna so get your shit together.
0: Under understood, kind of like uh, symbiosis. There, it's like either you you, you pull your weight, uh, or you know we're fucking you up until you do. All right. Yeah. I mean, and and like what what happens now by comparison?
1: Uh, I don't know. I'm, my nephew is is currently in the army. He's been in for a long time. He I think he's only got like three years left till he retires. Um, mm-hmm. my nephew is probably older than you. I think he should. <laughs> Thirty-seven or thirty. Okay, he's older than me. Yeah, <laughs> um, but he told me he like he deployed to Afghanistan and stuff. And when he was in basic training, he told me if the temperature hit a certain, you know, if it was too hot, they didn't train. Oh, crazy. Okay, so <laughs> yeah. a vast,
0: a vast difference, I'd say. What? <laughs> so, I don't know. So you, you know, you do basic. How how long was
1: that for? Uh, basic training, I, th- I think, is eight weeks and then uh infantry school is what they call OSIT one station unit training. So mm-hmm. there is no like AI where you go to a different post to learn your job. It's the same bunk, the same building, the same shit. So it's, I think total it's all three months. Okay. But okay. I was there because I the time frame uh we went home for like five days for Christmas. I see near the end of basic training and then I came back in like went to, uh, so I went straight from basic training t- to my first duty station, which was uh, Panama. Okay. All right. And, and what were you doing there in Panama? Yeah, uh, that's when we still had troops in, in, uh, the canal zone. Okay. Uh, so I got to Panama January 84 and, uh, Noriega was still president. Got um, it. we, uh, not we, not me and you, but the United States, the CIA, you know, we were instilling a lot of governments in Central America in the 80s. It was a very Mm -hmm. tumultuous time. And we kind of made Noriega president of Panama. Uh, So the Panamanians wanted, these crazy people wanted free and fair elections, but we wanted Noriega to stay president because he was our guy. So there was a lot of riots in Panama, and we would be on alert to quell riots to go downtown and uh keep rioters from wanting democracy so you were in kind of like
0: a like a a crowd control spe- in specific regards we'd, to kind of like we would do laws. that
1: but that's also where um uh, jotc was at the time jungle operations training center i think it's in florida now um and that's where they, you, you train on uh jungle tactics and stuff and we would we would be um top four for that opposing forces we'd be the enemy like if unit came down from Fort Bragg units come from the states it's a three-week school we would be the enemy so we would wear civilian clothes and, and run around and that was fun because uh for one we didn't have to wear our uniforms I remember one time they wanted to make it more realistic so they gave us live chickens instead of MREs <laughs> so that we would have uh you know the chickens could possibly give up our position fresh mm-hmm. meat fresh meat was cool
0: yeah, I'm sure. Uh,
1: well, we got to do a uh, different kind of guerrilla tactics than we would normally do. The discipline was a little more lax, so those were fun things. But all all infantry units you you get cycles where you do guard duty for X amount of time, then you do training, and that would be our training cycle, then there's a school cycle. Um but yeah, shit like that. Did you did you like
0: like like i I'm, I'm picking up a little bit of it did, did but did you like like doing all this when you were in panama
1: oh i loved it I, yeah it know. sounds like it yeah I, um, I, I gained rank really quickly um i uh really enjoyed it it's, it's all i ever wanted to do so i was a nerd i just like read all the manuals and fucking excelled at the test when when i went to schools i graduated first or second in all the military schools I went to oh, that gives you extra promotion points that helps you and once like a unit is incentivized to send people that are going to succeed in a school so once you go to one and you do well the chances of you getting another slot are pretty good because they know that it looks good for the unit if somebody does well in the school was the school down there or would you have to be sent elsewhere um mostly down there i tried to get on the when I was an m60 machine gunner i tried to get on the all army machine gun competition team because then you could go to uh back to the states for the competition and it was uh I was homesick I was you know i was a kid sure yeah yeah you're young as hell but I, I didn't do well enough <laughs>
0: <So> <laughs> how how long were you stationed in panama two years okay what was the next you know kind of after doing all this training and like you know, working on these guerrilla tactics, kind of like playing kind of like that, that home team to kind of train people from the States. After you did all, all that there, where did you end up getting stationed next? Uh, the 101st Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Okay. And, and like what, I mean, I imagine what you had to be doing there would, would have been different. It's so like, like what was, what was your kind of, uh,
1: about the same when I got there, oh, I got, wh- uh, because, uh, I had, uh, an eib which is this uh it's an expert infantryman badge it's called it's really difficult to get It's three days of testing and you can only fail i think one out of i don't know dozens of tasks uh so because i had that um i got hand selected to be in um like the scout platoon for the unit i was in it in 101st it was only like 10 or 12 of us Oh shit. Okay. So so
0: you, you know, like a, a select few. What kind of tasks did you have to to do in order to gain that?
1: Um we would do uh our job was to go behind enemy lines and you know, report back, see and not be seen.
2: Gotcha. gotcha.
1: And uh, often what we would do is uh set up uh we would walk overnight behind enemy lines, uh scout out areas and then set up um lz's landing zones for all the helicopters to land the battalion in the morning mm, okay okay And then i would uh tell i would set up like where a whole company i would deal with the company commander and set up a whole tell them like this is where you need to put tie in with charlie company this is uh, infantry bullshit sure sure so so, so it, what is
0: this like classified as like recon work
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. I got it. So when, when you're in, in Kentucky, like, you know, you're back in the States, like, did, did you miss being like stationed in Panama or were you like, Oh, this is the next step in kind of my career anyway. So I'm just happy to be here.
1: I I liked 101st, especially that unit because we were small. We were kind of elite and the unit I was in in Panama was uh, classified as a light infantry. We didn't have any vehicles. We walked everywhere or we took helicopters. Okay. My barracks was, I could look out my window and see the Panama Canal, the Miraflores locks, and our training area was on the other side. And because we didn't have vehicles, um, I remember a couple times we walked and we waited for them to shut the, the gates on the canal. And we were able to walk across the gates of the canal, which nobody gets to do. That's cool. That and there's true. a there's a cruise ship right there with people taking pictures of you. You feel like a, an American badass.
0: Yeah, straight I mean, up.
1: I, and I was, a, I was a kid. How could you not like that?
0: Oh, absolutely. I got, I, also,
1: faith, uh, I got a weapon.
0: Yeah, you got a weapon, you're in the uniform, you're in somewhere that's like like completely different than what it looks like in the States, like probably beautiful. Like, you know, and like you yeah, people taking taking your picture from a cruise ship. Like yeah, I you feel still. like somebody. Um so you know, like with like were you stationed in Kentucky for like the same amount of time? Like with yeah, a first years. okay, a couple years there. Like they, you know, after after that. Was like, did they just kind of keep moving you places to kind of like go up in rank or, or kind of like, uh, essentially like another, like level of, of kind of like training people or did you kind of get like, uh, like laterally move places and just kind of doing the same thing?
1: You, you typically, if you're single, I don't know how it works now. I mean, we're talking 30 years ago, 35 years ago, but if you were single, you moved every two years. Okay. If you were married every three years. Gotcha. Gotcha. And that, that's just to keep costs down because they'll, when I uh, got sent to, I went to Germany from 101st, mm-hmm. and the military will pay to ship your car over there. They'll pay to ship, like, if you're single, like 500 pounds of personal goods on a ship. That would cost you so much. I don't know, can't imagine what it would cost to ship your car to oh, Germany. Oh, God.
0: Like, it, it, insane.
1: Like but the army will do it for free. I sent my Camaro over there, dropped it off Hell in yeah. Bayonne, New Jersey, and picked it up in in Bremerhaven, Germany. Where were you stationed in Germany? Uh, a little town called uh, Bombholder.
0: Where, like, what, like, what region of Germany is that? Southwestern, like near uh, the
1: French and Belgian.
0: Border. Like, so, like, uh, Rhineland Fouts, or like Saarland, or something like that. Uh, kind of near, the
1: closest town would be Saarbrücken. You know where Saarbrücken oh, is. Yep.
0: Uh-huh. Definitely. Okay.
1: So in between Saarbrücken and Wiesbaden.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So, you know, within six years, you're in pretty different kind of environments. Um, Germany
1: sucked because it was a mechanized unit. Uh, mm-hmm. You know what an armored personnel carrier is? Uh, I, I probably have it's a like guess, but not like a tank without know. a turret. Okay. Got it. Oh, so oh, oh yeah, an APC. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. APC, yeah. So uh, you know that from video games? Yes.
0: My whole so, family away like above my dad, all military people. Uh oh, um, yeah. only, only my dad and I kind of down like didn't like didn't do that. So it, it's like I I've heard things, you know, here and there.
1: So mech units are known for being filled with overweight fucktards who don't know what they're doing. Okay. So I I didn't enjoy that.
0: Were, I mean like was it like uh was but it I met the same my
1: ex-wife in Germany? Oh, did you? Okay. Uh, how, I mean, how did y'all run into each other? Uh, she was, uh, her dad was a tanker. She was a military dependent. Okay. Um, and she worked at the the bowling alley and the Burger King on post. And she was into punk rock and I would see her at the, the punk rock club downtown. So had you already gotten into punk music at that point? Yeah. Yeah. In between um, Panama and Fort Campbell, I went home for leave and my friend Pete who had, Introduced me to, like, all the music when I was a kid. Oh, you mentioned him and earlier, yeah. He uh, he started listening to, uh, like, Psychedelic Furs, Echo and the Bunnymen. Yep. X, um, Sonic Youth. Sure. And so I, I started listening to all that stuff, and I liked it. And um, X in 1985... It's when I was in between Panama and um, Fort Campbell, is when "Decline of the Western Civilization" came out on VHS. Ah,
0: fuck yeah, okay. And
1: I went to a record store with Pete, and uh, I saw that there, and because X was on it, I bought it, and that led me to Black Flag, Circle Jerks, and Fear are all out there. Mm, yes, sir. Okay. So I liked all those, and then at Fort Campbell, there was a a private in the in the company. I walked by his room, and he had flyers on his wall because he was from L.A. And he had flyers from uh, Circle Jerk shows, Dead Kennedy shows. And that kid told me when there was a record store in Nashville, which is like 45 minutes from Fort Campbell. So I went to a record store down there, and that's where I bought uh, Murphy's Law, the first record when it came out. I mm-hmm. uh, Against Eye, Bad Brains had just come out. Oh, beautiful. Um, Rebel Truth, you know that band from Southern California, 7-inch? Uh,
0: you know, I've seen the 7-inch, another one you're talking about, yeah. Highly recommend
1: Okay. That there. That's yeah. where I saw my first show in Nashville. First one. I mean, was it just like local stuff or was it like a tour of some Flag sort? Flag of Democracy. Okay. Old okay. Punk band. I know the but name. then I saw, I saw a couple of local shows too. There was some local, there was a band called uh, fucked FUCT.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they sent, I don't know, to me, I remember my memory, which could be off. It was like uh, tonocracy era corrosion of conformity. Oh, so it's
0: badass as hell. Fuck yeah! Okay, cool. Kind of,
1: kind of metally, but there yeah, was a little crossover. A band called uh, DGM, Degenerate Gutter Mongrels. Another band called Rednecks in Pain. <laughs> good
2: name.
1: Um, I don't remember what they sounded like, but I I used to have every flyer from every hardcore punk show I'd ever been to, so, so I remember the thing. names from the flyers. But I don't remember. I know the only one I remember what they sound like is that band fucked. So, so it definitely so, didn't fit in because people didn't like GIs.
0: Oh, I mean, I, I feel like, especially like like hardcore at that time when it was still like hardcore capital P punk, you know, it's like if you're like coming in there with a crew cut, you know, what ha- like that, yeah. that style has not hit hardcore yet. I stuck out. Yeah. I, was, I, mean, people, I was made people
1: to tr- feel unwelcome.
0: Did people try to fuck with you or anything? Or, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like you know, like, like kind of. It seems to be kind of par for the course for you, know. But also,
1: like anybody who's who's new to something, you know, I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing. I have no idea what's going sure. on. Yeah. Well, well I, I also say- saw um, uh, there was a band from Athens, Georgia that would play Nashville. Uh, kind of sounded like uh, early REM. This band, Guadalcanal Diary, and I saw them a few times there. I saw the replacements in Nashville.
0: Okay. Okay. When you ended up going to, so you you get like you get like a flavor of it. You've been you've gone to shows. You see kind of like what like the, the movements like at like you know these kind of events with, with the beasts are like of, of that kind of world. When you went over to Germany, you know you, you already had a kind of like a, like a taste for punk music. Did you find it to be similar or different when you would like go to gigs over there?
1: Couldn't f- couldn't find anything over there over there. I just uh-huh. fell in with a group of people that listened to more of this this more like the stuff that Pete had introduced me to a lot of echo and the bunny man, Depeche mode, the cure. Sure. Post I tried to see gotcha. Depeche mode a few times over there, but they would mm-hmm. sell out so quickly. I mean, I imagine that there was, was no, there no in that internet time period. no internet It was hard to get information on anything. Yeah.
0: And I mean, I feel like maybe over there, it's like you're, I mean, saw is like a, it's like a, you know, like a city or whatever, but like, it's like, maybe you like, I mean, like what was the, what was the closest like biggest place to you? Oh,
1: Fiesbaden? Okay. All right, gotcha. Which you. was I think my memory maybe over an hour, hour and a half. Okay.
0: Okay. <laughs> so you, you're in you're in Germany, you don't fuck with the, the unit because of you know, like uh the APC, you know, shit, but you do meet someone that would become your your wife. Yes. So I mean, how did that work? Did like did you guys get married over there or
1: or No, we just wound up she wound up leaving country like a week before I did.
0: Oh shit, okay. So
1: I just gave her I knew I'd be going to my mom's house because I don't have anywhere to live. So I gave her my mom's phone number. So we're no cell phones. Mm-hmm. So this is nineteen eighty eight. I get out of the army in June of eighty eight. And um she came up to visit for a week and then just never left. Where, where was she from? Um, she was the... from like Tampa, Florida. Well, I mean, she was a military kid, so she was from everywhere. Everywhere, Yeah.
0: What, so, I mean, you said your, your, your tenure was up. I mean, like, like how does, like for someone that doesn't know, how does that work? I mean, like, did, did you have the option to sign on for more years or were you? Oh, well, like, I had over?
1: already, I had reenlisted when I was in Fort Campbell. Okay. I had re-enlisted for Hawaii, but then an gotcha. opportunity came up for me to go to ranger school. Mm-hmm. And In order for them to give me the slot for ranger school, I had to waive my Hawaii option because they weren't going to invest. Um, the way the slots work is they're not going to send you to a school if they don't get to utilize the skills you learn. So they're going to make you stay in that unit, basically. Sure. Uh, so I, I, you know, it was a childhood dream to go to fucking ranger school. So I fucking signed away my Hawaii option and, and uh, was unsuccessful in ranger school was i mean it was just like was it like a
0: physical test or was it like
1: a, like I, a written test that was difficult i went to uh class i think they run the classes at the same time so i went to class 486 class mm-hmm. four runs in uh january extremely cold and the, uh this was before you could have insulated boots before there was gore Tex, before all that shit so the attrition rate was very high i think my mm-hmm. class started with I want to say like 200 and something people and graduated, like maybe 70 something people. Shit. Okay. Um, but I was, I think the youngest guy going, cause I was a corporal, but only 19 and um, they're definitely younger people, but those people that signed up for ranger school or their officers on their summer from West point, it's really difficult to get a slot from a regular unit. And three guys from that small platoon I went to, we all went at the same time. And uh, okay. I was doing very well in the school. It was halfway through. My ranger, you get a buddy. He was number one in the class. I was running number two in the class. And I quit mm. on a very cold night. I had frostnip on my toes. I couldn't take the cold anymore. You're only getting uh, one meal a day. An MRE, you're getting very little sleep because the whole goal of the school is to see can you make good decisions? Got it. uh, When you're tired and uh, hungry, and I made a bad decision and quit. I
0: mean, do you feel like regret about that or are you kind of every day? uh, That was
1: 35 years ago. For the first Mm -hmm. 10 years, I thought about it every day. Damn. And now I think about it at least once a month. Yeah, it's the the biggest regret in my life. I regret quitting Ranger school more than I regret being a heroin at it. I mean, I it would I changed get, the trajectory of my life.
0: I get it because it's like, it's like you dreamed about that.
1: You know? You and I was doing well. <laughs> that, you know, and you were doing good. You were doing good. My, um, my battalion commander who gave me the slot he was the commandant of ranger school before he was our battalion commander. So he took it very personally. Mm-hmm. And uh, he called me up on the phone because when you quit, you, you get sent to this recycle battalion. And he made it possible for me to, to recycle. Like I, you can go through again, but that's halfway through. And it's a miserable fucking experience. And I lost a bunch of weight. I was like, uh, he's like, you're going to go through again. I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to do that, sir. And he's just like, you're a piece of shit. You're a fucking pussy. How, how, how am I going to have you come back here and lead men? Nobody's going to follow you. What are you going to do when the going and tough? Throw down your fucking weapon and cry? You're a bitch. How can you be a, how can you be a non-commissioned officer? Cause my, I made Sergeant while I was in school, right. The way the promotion points work and shit. So when I got back, he, um, he kicked me out of that unit and put me in a regular line company unit. And how much more, and like, this is while you were in Germany? No, this is at Fort Campbell.
0: Oh, okay. This is at Fort Campbell. Okay. So, you know, like how much more time elapsed before you got kind of, you like went overseas
1: probably like eight months. But okay, it was all—I so I just wanted to quit. I just wanted to out. It, it
2: just—it
1: made me dejected. I felt shitty about myself and my love for the military because uh, now I can't. I'm not going to get a second shot at it. So what am I doing? If right. you can't be the best of the best, why about?
0: Yeah, and I mean that's kind of like why I'm thinking. I was like, like, why would you end up after Germany? Why would you end up leaving? But but this makes sense because you you would kind of already like gotten to a point where we are like, ah, like I fucked up. Like, and this is kind of like why I was here. So mentally when you're leaving, what did you, what was like your next step after like, like, you know, like you're like, okay, I'm not doing this anymore. Now, now what am I going to do?
1: Well, when I got out of the army, yes. uh, A childhood friend had a, a good job at a factory. My goal was I wanted to take like, I'd been in some, Like I said, I joined on my 17th birthday, left that week. So I went from my mom's house to the military. i would never really been an adult civilian. I've never been able to make my own decisions about. Oh shit.
0: I I guess you're right. Yeah.
1: But I'm I'm still, I've got five years in the military, but I'm only 22.
0: Yeah. Still a kid.
1: But I wanted to take like six months off and do nothing. Mm, Sure. But, uh, this offer came up, this friend of mine, uh, for this job. Uh, a good job, profit sharing, you know, two weeks vacation off the rip. I had no experience with civilian jobs. And uh, everybody was telling me I should take this job. So I took it and started like four days later. So I just started working in a factory. I worked there off and on for like 15 years.
0: How, oh, so you worked there for, for a long ass time, 15 years? Yeah. Like, I mean, like did, like, but not, did you enjoy not, it? Not straight. Like, I worked
1: there six years and then... I, I moved for a while, came back. They gave me, they liked me. So they gave me my job back.
0: What, what kind of factory was it?
1: Uh, it was a precision sharpening service. Okay. I sharpened uh, carbide tips, soft weights. Gotcha.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So you like, you like, you like conveyor belt work
1: or? Oh, no, no, no. It was uh, these German machines, these Acumat machines with diamond. The only thing that sharpens carbide is a diamond wheel. Mm-hmm. But I also had to, um, you do roofing. Yeah. I do, yes. So you know, carbide tip saws—you can—they're uh, more, way more expensive than steel saws. Oh yeah, but but if you break the carbide tip, you can get it replaced. Yes. So I would, yes. I would raise in those new tips and. Got it.
0: Okay. All, all that kind of shit. I know and exactly did, what you're talking about. We
1: did everything from home contractors to you know to uh, finish carpentry shit. Okay. So okay. all like saw blades up to I don't know. I think the biggest saw blades we did were like. 50 inches, 52 inches, something oh, like big that. Big boy. Jeez. Yeah. Monster for, uh, that's industrial. Like yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Got, okay.
1: I got you. Okay. It's All right.
0: Roll. So I, I got to lay land. I know exactly. I mean, you seem to work there for a while. Was it the kind of thing where you were like,
1: I like doing this or was it like, yeah, this is easy. It, I mean, at the time I didn't know any better to me. It was like, oh, this is only an eight hour work day. Cause the average work day in the military is 12. Yeah, you're right.
0: Yeah. And I mean, there
1: I'm, are no sick days in the army. So my first six years there, I didn't take a sick day because I just wasn't used to taking sick days. Yeah. And uh, I liked the hours. I was used to getting up early. We worked from 6 to 2.30. Yeah, not okay. bad. So I, I would be out of work at 2.30. I was still a – I'd become an alcoholic in the Army, so I was still a heavy drinker. Mm-hmm. So i just stop at the – my wife wouldn't get out of work till later. I would just stop at the bar and drink for a couple hours and then go home. I mean, like, did you reconnect
0: with like local people or did you kind of like have to kind of like yeah. start over? Okay. So you reconnect yeah. with a childhood friends. Music. Um, we'll talk about music. Yeah. I mean, like, well, this is, I mean, like, I feel like this is so, where
1: it starts. You know? So the, the week I get out of the army, I go up to the record store that Pete had brought me to when I was home on leave. It was a well-known uh, Massachusetts record store called Main Street Records. Mm-hmm. Punk rock, hardcore, metal, all that stuff. Uh, uh, sadly closed now like a lot of great record stores unfortunately but i go up there to look for records and i run into this uh big tall guy with a mohawk and he's handing out flyers and he hands me a flyer for a local show and i talk to him for a while he tells me his name is tongo rad which is (laughs) the name of uh probably too young to remember star trek original series there's an episode with a bunch of hippies on it and the lead hippie is named Tongo Red. Okay, clearly, clearly not his real name. His name is Andy Crespo, and he was in a Western Mass band called Anal Fist. Okay, and, and okay, um, that, that's
0: a name for sure.
1: I went to that show, and uh, he wound up being my roommate uh, for a few years. After that, he introduced me to lots of hardcore. Like I knew Murphy's Law, Bad Brains. Um, circle jerks black flag but he introduced me to war zone okay and uh more importantly he's the one who brought me the first time to that you know the club the anthrax in norwalk connecticut oh absolutely yeah so he's the one who brought me there for the first time what year was that that was
0: 1988 okay so you so you're there in 88 what i mean like what what show was it you're like do you remember
1: uh i don't remember the first show i went to but i, I mean i saw Wide Awake There, Sick of It All, Judge, Gorilla Biscuits. I was at that first shelter show that Inside Out played where Sam uh, from Born Against was handing out anti-Krishna flyers and heckling Ray.
0: Got it. Got it. Oh, so I mean, mean, you, you were in like the... I mean, like to 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 experience Anthrax in that time period is 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 a, is a rare thing for people still, you know, like involved. That that is very fucking sick. Yeah. Um, See, so like I went to 20, a lot of
1: shows there, but I wasn't part of the scene.
0: Got it. So, and which I, you know, like was was explain the Anthrax kind of vibe to me in, here in 2023. Like, was it like kind of like you know what? Did it seem kind of like walled off for people like you know, like more like, Hey, like what's up or were they more welcoming or, or,
1: or not so much, not so much, but that could be that I, I went freaking frequently with my friend, Andy, who was a big tall guy with the Mohawk. Mm. And, uh, and
0: I was going to say, I imagine that's not what people looked like at the anthrax either. No, no. Yeah. But he was my friend. So, Course. And you said it was the air of like the champion hoodies and like it's the youth crew look. It's like it's, yeah, no, yeah. it's youth crew 88. Like that, you know. And uh okay. So so you know, you're there with like atypical punk rock guy. People are like, you know, you know, where are your fucking Jordans? Why do you guys not look like us? Um, so you know, you go to these gigs, you know, like like what have you. Like, did you did you like was that where you mainly went to shows, or did you end up, you know, kind of going with the zoo andy to like to other places?
1: Uh, For traveling shows, big shows, that was it. Other than that, I went to local shows and uh, checking out the local Western mass scene.
0: What was, I mean, like what, like, you know, local stuff were you like rocking with it?
2: Uh,
1: There was a, so there was Andy's band and and it shared members with uh, this band, Wishful Thinking. Mm -hmm. And they were uh, a straight edge band, sounded like a cross between a minor threat style and youth Crew style. Okay. And cool. very straight edge lyrics. But the uh the singer for that band, Mark Darjee, was the driving force of the Western Mass scene at that time. He booked a lot of the hall shows. He ran a little record label. Um, and he was uh I think responsible for inspiring a lot of people to start bands. Because if somebody's booking shows, you know you can you start a band. If there's no booking agent in the area, there's no scene.
0: Yeah, because it's like if you don't have somebody like kind of like the to, to like set the stuff because that thing is setting shit up is a labor of love as someone who's been a promoter for 18 or 19 years it's like sometimes it's a thankless job and, and sometimes it, it's a quite difficult job it's not really something that I think a lot of people want to do but it's obviously extremely necessary I've, I've so, booked two
1: shows in my life I'm, I'm not have, interested
0: yeah it's it's not it's like when it's fun it's great and when it's not it fucking it, sucks
1: it's gambling everybody yeah. likes to talk shit about the promoter when he's got his pocket stuffed but nobody's yeah. there standing next to him when he's pulling money out of the ATM. To cover yeah, straight
0: the up, straight up. Like you so, know, and 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 it's like it's like you know when like that's the thing is like when the show's great, it's kind of people are like, you know, like oh, like the scene's awesome. And then when the show's bad, it's kind of like it's like oh, it's the promoter's fault, you know. And it's like well, it's like if they're doing the same thing for every show, you know, necessarily it's like it's it might be the show. There's so many other other factors and in that yeah. but yeah i so you're i agree with you not having kind of like someone to, to to do the work there you know yeah you don't have a scene um like did i mean you're seeing this you're going to these gigs and stuff like you're you know in your early 20s like uh, you know you're just working are, are you like yo I'm, I'm i'm trying to get involved like i want to like i want to play music or are you like i uh, you know I'm, I'm a little too outside of like the interconnected scene like I'm just kind of like a like a show goer.
1: Uh, l- let me let me back up. Sure. Uh, like I told you earlier, my fucking brain is shot. Now you're all good. too many, too many punches in the face, too many overdoses. Um, but so I get out of the army in June '88. Mm-hmm. Uh, my future wife comes up to visit, and we we uh we were we started buying the Village Voice, the New York paper.
0: Oh yeah, okay.
1: Because it listed shows at Irving Plaza, CBGBs, um, and she Mm -hmm. loves Seven Seconds. I love Circle Jerks. We find out at Irving Plaza they're touring together, Seven Seconds and Circle Jerks. So that's July of '88. Got it. We go, we go to that show. So I'm out of the army a month. Go to that show, and uh, I had heard Murphy's Law. I'd heard Bad Brains. Murphy's Law, that first record, it's. You know, they're a joke band, but it's got that New York hardcore sound.
0: Yeah, I mean they 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 got you know they got tracks
1: you know, they, and that's that's the closest I've heard to to New York hardcore. So this is the first time I'm going to a show in New York, and the opening band is a New York hardcore band. Blows me away. Never seen anything like it. All the shows I went to in Nashville was circle pits and you know push mosh skank stuff. You know, sure. Uh, punk rock shit. Yeah. So this is the first time I'm seeing people hardcore dance. And it fucking blows my mind. I'm fucking smitten by the the violence and the unpredictability. Of course. And uh, I don't know anything about shows. I don't know that I could, this opening band, I could go to their table and get their demo tape. So I spend the next like three months looking for a record that doesn't exist for from Raw Deal. Huh. <laughs> Is that who the opener was? That's crazy. Yeah, the opener was Raw Deal. And, and that show made me want to start a band. And uh yeah, Forever Raw Deal will be the most important hardcore band to me
2: oh, for that God. reason. It was just outstanding.
1: It, absolutely. Because this was before all the shows at the Anthrax, before I saw, you know, Judge and Sick of It All. And this was my first taste of that. And it was just it was eye opening. It was uh instantly um appealing to me.
0: How did you go about kind of like starting your path,
1: like to to do this? Andy, uh, he um, was in that band, and we became really good friends. And he's like, "You should sing for a band. You should sing for a band." And once, I, you know, after i tell telling him how much I like Raw Deal, and he's introduced me to Warzone and Agnostic Front and all this shit. He's like, "You should start a band." I was like, "I I don't know anybody. You know, my high school friends I barely talk to, and none of them." Uh, other than Pete play guitar, but Pete is not into hardcore. Mm. Um, so he basically puts together a band for me from Andy these, okay. yeah, from these people that were in other bands. So everybody that's uh, the original lineup for my first band, Bloodbath, is everybody's in two or three bands. Got it. And Andy's okay. the one who also comes up with the name. What
0: was I mean? like you know so like what year does
1: bloodbath start what does it sound uh, like starts 89 we recorded our demo december 89 so it must have started two or three months before that i would guess maybe sure. more than that because we let's think the first demo has six songs on it so maybe maybe six months before it of course i wanted to sound like raw deal I wanted to sound like new york hardcore
0: absolutely i mean like in, in retrospect do you think that you guys did a good job, you know, emulating that, or did it come out as kind of uh, sounding different?
1: I think there's some stolen raw deal riffs on there.
0: Fuck yeah. Okay. <laughs> I
1: think it definitely, for for what was going on in Western Mass at the time, it was the closest to New York hardcore. Sure. Um, we sent it in before, you know, mister is still a magazine, right? It Back is. For yes. rock and roll.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: So before it turned into a hippie commie shit rag, They used to actually cover hardcore and you could go in there and see ads for revelation records and, and, and all that stuff. Um, So we sent in a, you know, you would send in a demo for, to review. So we sent in our bloodbath demo and I'm paraphrasing, but I think it said the worst vocals they've ever heard. Ah fuck. Dude. <laughs>
0: Scathing even then. So okay. I mean, you you know, you get a taste of getting behind the mic, you know, and everything. Max and Rock and Roll didn't like it, but who fucking cares? Uh you know, like did I mean did you did like was did you guys end up like playing like around Western Mass a lot? Did you guys like end yeah, up in yeah.
1: Okay. We played a played a lot of hall shows that mark Darjee from which we'll think in a community, Chess Records would set up. And they were good shows. There'd be a couple hundred kids, two, three hundred kids at some of these shows. Fuck yeah. I know one of them we played with, because uh, I still have some old flyers. Glee Club was on one of them, so that was a big draw. They were big at the time. Um, and there was, uh, I don't know, it was a good thriving scene. And we we did well off the rip, I think because we were different than the other Western mass bands. Were they just like? Were the other Western Mass bands just way more punk? Yeah, but just like mostly straight edge bands, mostly faster. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Punk, hardcore.
0: and I imagine um, if you're into raw deal, you guys have a little bit more of a bounce to y'all. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Just, were, it,
0: we did well. Were you guys? Go- were did like? Were you going to like gigs in like Boston or anything at this time? Mm, uh, yeah, a little bit. We'd go to uh, to Bunraddies, the Rat. The channel, but Boston is always like it's an interesting entity during this, like during kind of like the late eighties to me. Very violent, very violent scene. Yeah, like I mean, like it's like it's like I know Slapshot was around then, but like it's like is it Wrecking Crew Eye for an Eye? Ah, Wrecking Crew I Stp. Yep. Okay. That and that's what I was gonna say. it's like, are you Uh, seeing like Wrecking Crew Eye for an Eye? And and, like, was four fifty four banned yet?
1: No. Okay, it comes later. Because Dean was still in Connecticut doing Freedom of of Choice at that time. Got it. Like, all those Connecticut kids moved around the same time. Um, But uh, I think the band was Crossface. John Regan, I think, was his name, was in that band. He wound up working for Victory Records after that, I think, for a while. Um, But he, I think, would book some of the shows at Bun Mm -hmm. and... There was a club in in western mass that opened up that well i think it was already a club but they started doing heavy shows and the it. first heavy show they did was nuclear assault okay fuck yeah. and uh they booked us for the week after mm-hmm. and i went to that show and got kicked out of that show because it was the first show they weren't allowing people to dance they were just throwing out people for dancing oh, fuck. Okay. and you know typical bouncers that weren't used to that kind of stuff um they were very aggressive throwing people out. Yeah. So I, I uh, assaulted a bouncer and was thrown out and oddly sure. played there the next week. Did, um, they, did they give you any shit when you come back or? They didn't know it was me. Okay. I blindsided this guy. Yeah. Right. Um, I wound up being friends with that guy later because we played that venue a lot and I felt bad because i Opened up his eyebrow and he had a giant scar and he would talk about it sometimes like if I ever caught that I'd fuck him up. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> man, that's fucked up. I felt bad about it, but he was uh, he was being rough with a friend of mine. So
0: yeah, yeah, yeah you got to do what you got to do, you know. I mean, yeah, yeah. And, and like, it like so, he, yeah, shit happens. Like so, so bloodbath is is playing kind of an like all around New England. Do you guys ever like hit the road like outside of that, or were you kind yeah, of? Oh, yeah, oh yeah, that's where I was okay. Getting at.
1: Sorry, I lose my sure. train of thought. No, you're all good. Um, We we get there. So we play that venue and then he starts, the guy starts booking um, heavy bands, hardcore bands, and he's getting these offers, but he doesn't know what to take. Mm. So he strikes up a friendship with me through another person that was in a a local metal band. And so he would bring me to the office and he'd say, I'm getting offered this show, this show, and this show. You know, which ones do you think I should take? Like, oh, you should take, you should definitely take that biohazard show and you should let us open up for it. Yeah. Okay. So yep. we played, we'll opened up for Biohazard or Slapshot or Wrecking Crew. So that I, uh, because I was able to get in this guy's ear and have some bands from Boston come, I, I traded that guy, John Regan. Uh, one of the shows I booked was uh, like a Wrecking Crew Eye for an Eye. Of course, I put my band on it. Of and then are. he gave us a show in Boston at Bun Raddies and we opened up for Quicksand in Bun Raddies. Very Raddy's. second. Very yeah. Second. That was probably the, the coolest show we ever played. We didn't get a great reception because we're the opening band in Boston. Yeah. Nobody knew us, but I can say that we played with quicksand.
0: Yeah, it's sick. I mean, like, so you, you, like, you know, like does does Bloodbath, like, away from, like, a demo tape, do, like, do you guys do, like, a record or anything? Or was it just, like a, like, a demo?
1: We did two demo tapes, and then we were supposed to, then we did a, a song on a comp uh, that uh, Mark Dargy put out on Community Chess Records called Back Again, and it had Wishful Thinking on an Anal Fist, this band G-Man, uh, that was pretty popular in Western Mass. Uh, I can't remember Us, some, some other bands, but he was going to put out a full 7-inch, and then uh, I think when I turned like 24, I, I didn't want to do the band anymore. Uh, felt like uh, 24 was kind of old to be in a hardcore band. Oddly, and that's I also inter- interesting <laughs> considering the future. Oh. Yeah, I also uh, got way into rock climbing, and I was spending more and more time rock climbing, and would rather rock climb than go to shows or play shows. How how had you gotten into that? Uh, a friend of mine from the scene, he went away to college up in like New Hampshire, and uh, he learned how to do it up there. And you know, it's kind of a two person activity. Mm-hmm. So, in order to facilitate him climbing when school wasn't in session, he uh, he taught me how to climb. Climbing is a fairly expensive sport, yeah. and that's what I told him. I was like, "Dude, I can't afford to get into this shit." Uh, his his dad was like vice president of uh, a New England bank chain, and his mom worked for a state senator. He's like, yeah. "I'll I'll buy you all the the startup shit."
0: Well, damn. Okay, <laughs> good homie.
1: <laughs> um, it was in his best interest too. Yeah, yeah he's, he's helping you help himself, sure. So uh, we started climbing like all over New England. Like like I would travel for shows. We would travel to go to these well-known climbing spots. And because I, worked, I got out of work at 2.30, um, if my wife was off work, she would come pick me up at 2.30, and we would drive like an hour north and climb because it's summertime. It doesn't get dark till 8 or 9. Would she do the same, or was she just driving? Yeah, she got into rock climbing too. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. She that's was that's in a awesome. hardcore. She was in a rock climbing. Well, she was my best friend. We did a, everything together. Not because uh, uh, we wanted to, uh, felt like we needed to keep each other company. We just shared the same interests.
0: Okay, well, well, well beautiful. Uh, you know, so you, you know, you you get into the rock climbing and and everything, and the, and like you know, it's and I, and I, here's the thing: it's different now. But being 24 and like in like the 90s and being like ah eh, I'm a little old for like hardcore like being in bands like that wasn't strange. I mean it's like how much younger hardcore people were eight like you know in in decades past is it's so different than now. Yeah. Um. So like you saying that it's like not really. I'm sure to a listener right now that's like I don't know 25 26 they're like what do you mean but like it's like back then that was not that was not that strange um so you end up you know you're working you're doing your, like you know like rock climbing and, and and everything like that like you you stop doing blood bloodbath. um you know kind of like were you still like hitting gigs here and there or yeah. were you just kind of yeah like,
1: okay all right still um, going to shows but n- just not religiously God I definitely didn't want to go to band practice every week sure sure so uh, how, it, here's an interesting tidbit yeah um, what's up? uh one of the shows i tried to get my band on there was a prong tour coming through that same venue yeah and uh the direct support was pantera and the cowboys from hell tour nice they was, did not allow local openers uh, <laughs> but of, i went to that show of course and there was like 250 people at the pantera show jesus christ i i like Nin- november 1990 i'd love to see that
0: <laughs> i'd love to be there for that um so you know during this time period where you're not in a band like you know how long is kind of like let's, let's call it like this hiatus
1: from from playing um i want to say probably ended the band in 92 93 mm-hmm. and then I s- spent a year planning uh, a trip and saving me and my wife we cut down to one car i would walk or run to work every day and uh we're just banking as much money as we could and i bought a a used rv and we were going to quit our well we did quit our jobs and we traveled around the country rock climbing backpacking mountain biking at all the national parks and popular climbing spots and just before i left for that in 94 we did a, a push button reunion or a bloodbath reunion show
0: okay okay because i i know i know push button comes later so so you right before you kind of like peace out you do it, you know like a like a, a reunion farewell like show, yeah. final gig type deal and then you leave and then you you go on like this like this journey how how long were you kind of like
1: living in the rv and like traveling we were- we were planning on. Uh, we had ten thousand dollars saved up, which at the time was a good that's chunk a, of change for. That's a fun. ton of money
0: during that time period. Yeah,
1: and we lived very cheaply. We, you know, because we had the RV, we would stop at supermarkets. We had a fridge. You know, we cook all our food, and uh, very frugal with the money. We would uh, camp at free campgrounds with no amenities. Very rarely would we pay for a campground. Right, and um, the plan was to run all that money out. Sell the RV, take that money, go to Europe, and do the same thing by like a Eurail pass and Got travel it. around. Okay. But about five months in in Yosemite, I fell climbing mm. and uh, broke bones in both legs and and oh. wound oh. up uh, in a wheelchair
0: for a little while, kind of incapacitated. Did you guys end up going back to mass or did you
1: stay up there? Um, We had left our car, dropped it off at her parents' house in Colorado. Okay. And the plan was after all this traveling is we were going to settle in Colorado because she wanted to live next to her family for a while. Sure. Um, Colorado has lots of great climbing. So believe it all all for it. Um, But she had up until this point had not driven the RV at all. Mm. And now she had to drive the (laughs) RV. So we, uh, They, uh, my friend was with us and he carried me. He was a big, strong dude. He carried me to the free clinic that they have at Yosemite. Well, not free clinic to the medical clinic they have at Yosemite. Right. And, uh, they gave me emergency treatment. They put an air splint on, uh, my shattered ankle. And they asked me if I wanted a shot of Demerol. I asked them how much that was. I told him it was like $160. I told him I had weed in the RV and I'd be okay. Um, also, had heroin in the RV to kill her. Sure. Um, yeah, because that started in
0: '94 too. Because I was—I was about to ask. I was like, "When? When? When did that
1: like enter your life?" Yeah, '94, maybe sh- a few months before uh, we went on this trip. Um, so uh, I didn't have medical insurance because we had quit our jobs. Yep. So the clinic told us because I needed to get. Uh, my bones set and get a cast and stuff like that. And they told us to go to Sacramento, right? That's the capital of California. That's correct. Um, they told us to drive to Sacramento to apply for free health care. Okay. So we drove there. I couldn't go inside. So my wife went inside, you know, I'm just out in the RV hours later. She comes out and tells me that because we have that car sitting in Colorado, the value of the car and the value of the RV, which is our home, means that we have too much uh, money. Oh, we don't qualify okay for pre health care.
0: Jesus Christ!
1: But because we have no address, no doctor will put me on a billing plan. So mm. we have to drive to Colorado to to use her parents' address, so that a doctor will see me and have a billing address.
2: Jesus! So okay. By the time
1: I get my bones set, it's eight days later.
0: And did I mean did that like have like any kind of like like long term effect? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I
1: limp. And okay okay not all the time but if i stand on it for a while if i walk a couple miles like i was just at the va a couple months ago and they told me they could uh they could fuse my ankle that would be the best bet are you going to try to go for that um i'm terrified of doctors and procedures so i'm trying sure. to avoid it it'll take I've, away some of the mobility but i haven't been able to run or anything like that for a long time anyway
2: ah, shit. i mean it I, would I, take
1: I, away I, the pain yeah. which is what i care about because it and turns-
0: that's- That would be, I mean, if it hurts, I mean, like, uh, you know, like I, I, I go through with that, you know, me too. I don't like, I avoid going to the doctor. I avoid like, unless like something like a bone stick anatomy or something, I try, really try not to go. Cause I'm sure, you know, you're in this scenario, like you're telling me about right now in the nineties, it's like, the shit is exorbitantly expensive insurance or not. Yeah. Um, You know, so it's, it's like, it's
1: a crazy racket. Not to uh, mention, you know, we had quit our jobs and now I can't get a job in Colorado because I'm laid up for three or four months.
0: Yeah. So, so, or, I mean, like when you get
1: back over to Colorado, I mean, are you just like, like chilling at her parents' house? Yeah. Living in her parents' basement. Um, I have to crawl on my knees, my hands and knees to go to the bathroom because I can't put pressure on either foot. Damn. Uh, luckily, my wife was a nurse. Yeah. So she was okay with me like peeing in a bottle and she would empty that, but for other bathroom activities that, you know, I need to crawl on my hands and knees. And then every like three days I'd crawl on my hands and knees to take a bath, but the bathtub was upstairs. So I have to crawl. Oh, damn upstairs. dude. It was a
0: good three months there. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, like eventually, you know, eventually I imagine you get better. Uh, you know, what's, i mean th- this is a real wrench in the gears this is not what y'all had planned yeah.
1: like kind of like what what was next for you i was pretty miserable in colorado we lived in colorado springs
2: Uh huh.
1: and uh you familiar with that
0: area yo like, like that's like what like that kind of whole mountain region of the country is the only part of the country i haven't really been through so like i'm not so, so right
1: near there is fort carson colorado big mm-hmm. army base yep. peterson air force base huge air force base okay. the air force academy
0: Oh, that's right. Air Force Academy is there. Yes. So there's
1: all these military dependents that need jobs, yeah, and that move every two or three years, and it really skews the economy mm. because they don't have to give you a raise because you're going to move in a couple of years. Walk, okay, yeah. They don't have to give you medical care because your spouse has got medical care through the military. Yep. So it just skews everything. So. Damn. Where I was making in Massachusetts fifteen dollars an hour, which is really good money in '94. Oh, it's that's killer in '94. Yeah, um, with uh, you know seven years of precision grinding experience, uh, there's a craftsman tool place out there where they have like the contract to make the uh, adjustable wrenches for craftsman tools. Okay, and they want to give me um, like fifty cents above minimum wage, which was like five fifty at the time. Yeah, at that time, it's got to be like around five bucks. Fuck they want to give me like 550 um to do kind of the same work sure. and uh, just uh it was really discouraging and i just like turned down the job offer yeah i thought oh i can do better than this and then i find out that's no that's what it is it's just like what well, the deal of fog, man so i mean so, did you uh, end up taking it no i did it because uh well i think i did but i failed the piss test because i was a heavy weed smoker
2: mm, okay
1: um okay and, uh, I didn't know I was going to get a piss test. And then I find out to, if, to, to pick up the carts at the supermarket, you, they want you to do a piss test.
0: Oh Jesus. So
1: like, so well, I wind help? up and for the same, about the same money, like 50 cents less to do shopping carts rather than use, uh, verniers and a micrometer to do precision <laughs> grinding. So I wind up working at uh red Robin as a cook. Okay. Okay. And, uh, make about the same money I would have made at the craftsman place. I don't have to take this test, but you know, if you've ever worked at a restaurant, you know, they're very adamant about you not doing overtime. So you get coming in you know, for three hours in the middle of the day. So now I can't take advantage of Colorado to do rock climbing and backpack. And we got one car between me and my wife. Oh, damn. So it wind up working like six days a week to get 40, you know, to get 37 hours,
2: Mm. Okay. And then I uh,
1: get into a physical altercation with a coworker, mm-hmm. and uh, don't work there anymore. Was well, uh, just somebody fucking with you, or uh, you know, I was uh, I think 28 at the time, something like that. Yeah, which made me like one of the older line cooks.
0: Sure, that kind of makes sense. Yeah,
1: younger kids in a restaurant, you know, it's fuck around. Everybody's trying to do drugs and bang each other. Sure. And, there, and, you know, there's a time to fuck around, but when there's a line out the door, like, it's time to work. Yeah, tighten up, man. And this kid just wouldn't shut the fuck up, and I just grabbed him by the throat and put him against the wall, and
2: then I got fired. Sure. And then I worked okay. at
1: a liquor store, and that was a lot more fun. It was about the same money. Were you working there
0: solo, or or, or was it like... Yeah,
1: yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, you know, I, I worked but at
0: me a Me and a store. pistol. And, oh, shit, so, you like, no one was going to fuck with you. Yeah, I got you. Okay. Did you ever have to like, you know, like, like you ever have to pull it out or did pull nobody it out fuck with you?
1: But, uh, you know, I yell at people trying to steal Sure, uh, drunk dudes knocking over. I had a dude knock over. It was a, in a bad neighborhood. So you cater to the neighborhood. Like we had a big Boone's farm display, mm-hmm. you know, just a bunch of bottles stacked up and this fucking dude with a, you know, a suitcase of beer. Just fell into it and just laying in the broken glass and the spilled wine, trying to hand me the money for the beer. Like, <laughs> no, man, you got to go.
0: No, <laughs> no, nah, nah, brother. And, and while you're down there, pay for all this shit you just
1: broke. Yeah. Well, no, oh. no one had tried to rob me. I was uh, pretty well liked. It was a lot of locals, you know, a lot of foot traffic.
2: Gotcha. We would open oh. at
1: nine and I would show up and there would be people waiting in line to get their first, you know, quart of beer for the day. Sure
0: sure so you end up doing that less stress but pretty much same money yeah my uh, wife was a
1: nurse so she was making decent money okay and we okay. we only went to a handful of shows we yeah up, i mean what was that like out there at, at that time uh we went to to denver to see bad brains Okay. and deftones opened had sure. no idea who they were
2: yeah
1: um then we went up to boulder to see shelter okay okay this and this is 91 6 90 95 probably 95 okay gotcha 96 we moved back to massachusetts because i was just so fucking miserable in colorado
0: sure. you just over it like you know it, it didn't sound like ideal for for you at all no did you guys end up going back to like uh like springfield area or did you go somewhere different
1: yeah, we went to, uh, I think at first we, yeah, we lived with my mom in her basement because I didn't have a job lined up. Um, Jamie Pushbutton, you know who that is? Yes. He, uh, he was the drummer in Bloodbath. Oh, okay. And um, he uh, had a roofing business. So he gave me a job, even though I had no idea what I was doing as his uh, helper. He taught me how to roof.
0: Were y'all doing uh, residential or commercial? Yeah,
1: residential um, uh, asphalt shingles. Oh, I gotcha. Okay, so you know, just
0: putting down what underlayment, putting the shingles down. I'm sure it's maybe done a little bit differently back then. Tear, tear offs first. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. That's that's essentially. I'm in. I'm in residential re-roof now. So it, it's all the tear off and the and the new stuff. Um, yeah. you know, so I I definitely know that game. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, that's hard work, but it, it's, you know, you get to see the fruits of your labor and, uh, depending on the, who you're working for, it can pay well.
1: Um, uh, we, we were all fuck up. So Jamie was the boss. It was his business. Mm-hmm. It was me. And you know, the band blood war from Troy, uh, see the name for some Troy Corset. Yeah. So that singer, um, Jerome, he, he, he was with us. And, uh, justin marco the original singer for push button and he was the bass player in that band with stan from troy mm-hmm. so that was it was the four of us and it was just a crazy summer of just crime drugs and occasional roofing yeah that sounds about
0: like that that sounds like like a smaller roofing firm. that sounds about right <laughs>
1: oh. so if if it rained and we couldn't work we would just go shop list stuff mm-hmm. and trade it for drugs because at the time um in the hardcore scene in the nineties, uh, NBA basketball jerseys were hot.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: And okay. There was a, sure. a place just over the border in Connecticut called Bob surplus.
2: Mm-hmm. They
1: had those little camera domes everywhere, but nobody seemed to be watching them. And Got it. Those nylon jerseys you can wrap, like everybody had baggy clothes back then. Yep. You can wrap like three or four of those around your waist and walk out the door. Those are 50 bucks a pop. Uh, and that's, that's hella money back then too. We would either uh, sell them or go to the, the neighborhoods and, and fucking trade them for heroin. Gotcha.
0: Now you said these guys are like from, like you said, those guys are from Troy. How far was Troy from y'all? Well,
1: they were from Pittsfield in between uh, okay. Springfield and, and Albany. Gotcha. Okay. I, some, some Hudson Valley people
0: have told me about Pittsfield. So but I, they would,
1: they would sleep in Jamie's living room during the week. I got it.
0: I got it. Um, so I mean, but you're back and you in you're with somebody that is, you know, like you know eventually uh in where is it? I mean, is, is push button at the t- is push button a band at the time? Yeah, so push
1: button is bloodbath. When I when we did that farewell show, Justin apparently was there and was a fan of Bloodbath mm-hmm. and talked those guys into doing a new band. So push button was basically bloodbath with Justin singing. And I think okay. their first handful of shows, they did a bunch of bloodbath songs. Gotcha. Before gotcha. they wrote wrote their own, and then they came did, up with their own unique style.
0: Did push button like? Did it start out like like kind of like the same style that push button would be, or did they start out differently?
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, if you listen to the first demo, yeah, it is. Uh, you're familiar with the band? Oh, uh-huh, I am. Yeah, it's kind of a unique sound. It is definitely. Um, and, and Justin's vocals are very unique And his vocal patterns are also unique Right, um, right. So yeah they, they had that kind of from the jump I think Because Justin also plays guitar and bass okay. So he, uh, he, he knew what he wanted He was in a He had a side project called Wish mm-hmm. uh, That came out on Community Chess Records That sounds, sounds like an Oi cross with pop punk band Interesting, but interesting, but I can hear that. Sure. I think it's only a couple songs. Okay. Picture which? a non-racist early screwdriver.
0: I got it. I, I know exactly what it sounds like.
1: Okay. Um there. So he was a he was a very um savvy songwriter and a very creative dude. He was a, a really good graffiti artist. It mm-hmm. was way into that. Um, which is why a lot of the push-button stuff has graffiti style shit. Sure. And and I f- I feel like it's like that, had, like you know, like
0: being like a prevalent part of hardcore. I feel like the like you know late eighties into the nineties. I feel like like mid nineties. you're like that kind of style was was like you're very prevalent. And instance, the people that are in the bands were actually like writers and stuff. Um, did I mean like how do you kind of get back into the how do you kind of get back into the fold
1: with like with that band? So Justin's in two bands. He said he plays bass for Withstand and he sings for Push Button. Right. And he kind of keeps Push Button a secret from the Withstand guys. Oh, okay. They have a, I can't remember what record label, but they have a pending deal with one of these like imprint labels. Mm-hmm. And have you ever heard Withstand from Albany? I don't think I have heard Withstand, no. They don't sound like any of the other Troy core bands. It's very, very unique. I wouldn't know how to describe it. And the vocals are either a love hate kind of thing.
0: I'll look it up because I'm curious. Um, withstand. Okay.
1: But they, uh, they were very serious about their band, and Justin kept saying that he needed to to pick one or the other. So he he was going to focus on withstand. I wound I got up because we did so much crazy shit that summer. I wound up going to jail for a while. What did you get
0: uh, locked up for?
1: Um, breaking and entering, possession of burglary tools. Uh, I don't know. Uh, a string of charges all related to one incident. Were you, I mean, were you like, you know, like breaking into really? a place to sell stuff or. That night. Um, there was a dude I had a score to settle with who I found out was uh, uh, selling, uh, I don't know, a couple pounds of weed a week. Uh, so I scoped out his spot where he stored it and thought I knew when he was going to get it. And then, you know, spend a good chunk of time planning this out. So we went and did that that night and that went off without a hitch with the exception of the shipment hadn't come. So all Uh. I could do is steal whatever this guy had there and get my revenge and just trash his spot. Sure. Um, but, uh, after that, uh, I don't want to implicate the other person. No, you're, yeah, you don't got to say anything that. Uh, but the person I was with was like, well, let's go. Uh, well, it was Jamie. I th- It was on the front <laughs> page of the paper. Um, he's like, let's go rob this record store in Northampton. I was like, well, we can go take a look at it. But, you know, we shouldn't do anything tonight. Right. The plan was we'd go in there and take records, CDs, T-shirts, and sell them at push-button shows. Just put them huh. on the table. Like sure. we got our okay. own little disc drum. And we would take that money and use it for heroin and not split it with the other guys in the band. Um, but some neighbor called the cops on us. Mm,
2: Okay. and
1: Here's the justice system. He was on probation in the building. I had never been arrested in my life was outside the building. He paid for an attorney and got probation. I had a public defender and got sentenced to two years.
0: That's how it always fucking goes. I mean, like yo, I I've been arrested like a, a few times, and like I would like get a lawyer. It's like the kind of thing where I'm like, I could have argued this myself, but now I'm spending thousands of dollars on a lawyer just because it looks better, and like money I don't have. And well, if I hadn't done it, you know, like who knows what could have happened.
1: Not only is a a good lawyer worth money because they know what they're talking about, but a good lawyer is worth money because they have a rapport with the prosecutor. To oh have yeah. They'll go up there charge. and
0: then chop it up with the judge, you know, what have you, yeah. like their they friends. Can, and
1: they shit. can get a deal with the, the yeah. prosecuting attorney, but I only have to do four months of it. And when I yeah. come out, I kind of take over uh, push by it. Did but, you, I mean, did you get a felony or was it like, misdemeanor yeah. Size? Yeah. Ah, was, which you. is why I'm not allowed in Canada, but I got, a, I just recently spent $1,500 on an immigration attorney okay yeah you try to get a, what expunged or something uh well he's specifically an immigration attorney he's just going to clear it up so i can go into canada permanently
0: sure 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 sure
1: i gotta send away uh you need a letter from uh every the police chief of every city you've lived in since you were 18 i've lived a lot of places so it takes Good a God, while to man put together well that's <laughs> gonna be like another thousand dollars to <laughs> file so but i i I'm waiting on to get a job as a tour bus driver. So being able okay. to get to Canada, it'll pay off quickly.
0: Oh, definitely, man. Definitely. And it's, it's, a, it's, like it, it's doable, too. It's like I, I was in a band with a guy that had a felony and like we couldn't go into Canada lots of the time with him. And, you know, he always talks about doing exactly what you're doing right now. Like It's,
1: you know. mine is a, it's a nonviolent felony from 1996.
0: Yeah, you'll so, be good. Uh, you, you'll it's, I just got
1: to nice. get all this paperwork back and jump through all these hoops. Just, just, yeah, it's just costly, you know, essentially. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, I'm so, a convicted felon. But, yeah. Uh, so push button has two eras, not just because we changed singers, but the original guitar player, uh, they kind of pushed out of the band me, Jamie, Justin. And Justin was involved in this Western Mass crew mostly, like they started as a graffiti crew, but when he joined Push Button, they became a hardcore enthusiast. Got and it. they would just go to shows and, and fuck people up and fuck with the bouncers. and They were called WSC, and because of all the violence, the original guitar player from Bloodbath, who was a super talented guy, Carl Arand, he he wasn't in it for that. You know, he liked to play music. He didn't want he's to be a musician, involved sure. in, and yeah. in all this shit. And fair is fair, you know. I don't yeah. fault anybody who who uh, you know be who you are. Just don't pretend to be somebody. Yeah, he's being honest. He's like, he's yeah. like I'm not. The same for me. You know, I'm not a hard guy. I I just
0: want to play music, man. Like I I, I hear that.
1: And he had gotten a job, I think, at the post office and wanted to try to make good with it. You know, I think it was one of those temp jobs. You know, where they pay you shit money and you're not really a postal worker. But if you do good, you have the chance to be a postal worker. Mm -hmm. And they were getting ready to do like a little one week run out to like Pennsylvania or something. And Carl said he couldn't do it, so I think they smashed the windows on his car. So he quit the band. So then they got Zeus to play guitar and he's more of a metal guy than a hardcore guy. Right. So the the sound got more metal. I see. Okay. So
0: that's kind of where that like that, that's where, where, where that jumps in and you're and like, is this before this is before you?
1: Yeah. When I, when I joined Zeus is already the guitar player. Carl is already out. So you get out of jail
0: and, and join push button. Um, You know, well, I mean, yo, here's a question, like, you know, not, not let get like too, like in in the weeds here with this, if you don't want to talk about it, but it's like, you're in jail and it's like, it it sounded like you were doing heroin pretty regularly. Like, like, I mean, were you able to score in jail or was it like, oh shit, dude.
1: I just got sick.
0: Oh man. Okay.
1: I didn't Uh, have a, um, a huge habit at the time. Right. Um, so the. I don't know what you know about heroin, but your the dope sickness is direct correlation to length of use and the a quantity of use. Okay. So if you're just doing a little bit, you get a little dope sick for a little while. Mm-hmm. If you're doing a medium amount, medium dope sick for a medium amount of time. Um, the Puerto Rican guys, the Latin kings, yep, uh, that uh, I talked to, and they mostly just mocked me because I had such a small habit. Oh, okay. I see. Uh, I was, so, I was I mean, probably doing like uh, two or three bags a day.
0: Okay, okay, got it. So, it, it, what? Not enough to like really fuck you up being no. there. No. All right. So I was just, I was just thinking about M- that. I was like,
1: it was you know, pretty confused. sick and miserable, but not, not, not real bad. Right. And only for a handful of days.
0: Okay. So you after that four month stint, you get out, you join, you join push button. Um, are you like back to roofing or do you look towards like going back to the factory at this point?
1: Uh, when I got out, I had a really hard time. So Jamie didn't have enough work to give me work.
2: That's true. Okay.
1: Um, he had a, uh, a wife and a young child. Um, so I didn't want to go back to the place I worked. I didn't want to ask them for work. Yeah. So I, I applied in a bunch of places to the point where I was applying for dishwasher jobs and shit and just not getting hired. And then I went applied at like uh Taylor rental rental place. Mm-hmm. familiar with that chain. And, uh, and is that like car rental or? No, no. Like uh, you can rent lawnmowers there. You can rent. Oh, uh, okay. Thatcher's. Uh, sure. Uh, you can rent funk. them. You can rent a, a circular saw.
0: Yeah. I know there. exactly what type of place you're talking about.
1: Yeah. All kinds of shit. And they also rented out uh, like rider trucks or. Yeah. Rider trucks, I think. Um, and that guy was a uh, a veteran. He was ex Marine. And when he saw that I was ex military, he, he was like, all right, I'll give you a job. Sure. And I worked there for like uh, five months. And then one of the, One of the places uh, that he sent, you know, he rented out chippers and he had to send the chipper blades to get sharpened. And it was to the place I used to work. Oh, shit. And I lived near. I had to go by there to get to work. So I told him, I'll drop those off if you want. And I dropped them off and they offered me a job. And I went back to that guy and told him, you know, they're going to pay me more money to go back there. He was furious.
0: (laughs) So, so you you, you pieced out. You go back to the factory.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. So you're doing that, and like it's like kind of like what's you've joined Push Button. What is kind of the lay of the land with that at this time? Like, like are y'all playing? Uh, they, a-
1: had, they had built up a good name in New England, so we were able to play uh, um, shows. And Paul, uh, the bass player, he uh, he wound up in Shadows Fall. Ah. Paul Romano. Okay, but he he uh, he had connections with people. Zeus had connections with people. Zeus is uh, runs Planet Z Recording. You know that studio. I do. He that recorded Breed records. Mm-hmm. I think he recorded the Gnostic Front record. He recorded the the Two Hundred Demons records. Um, did shit for Rob Zombie. Crazy. Um, but th- so they had connections. So we we're playing shows, with- and through Justin. We played a lot of shows in Albany at the QE2 at that Mm -hmm. time. So we played with Stigmata, Dying Breed, and became friends with those guys. Um, Jamie uh, liked us, so we played Hatebreed shows. You know, Jamie uh, Josta was a huge booking agent before Hatebreed took off. Right. He he booked a lot of Connecticut shows. Right. So if you were in Jamie's Good Graces, you you got shows. My first show singing for Push Button was... a Jamie show. It was in Norwalk, Connecticut, at a club called the globe. And it was VOD hate breed, uh, one for one, I think from Jersey,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, push button. And then, uh, one other band. I can't remember. I
0: mean, that is gigantic for that. era. It like, was a big deal. I was, I was like, was what nervous. is that?
1: Ninety. What? Eight. Probably 96.
0: Oh, 96. Sorry, so I saw it's in the middle there. It's like
1: 96. And, um, Jamie liked us, so he uh, he offered to put out a push button seven inch. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so he, he
0: like he what what was what was his label? What was his label? Billboard. That's right. That's right. Was the well,
1: before that, we did uh, a comp on East Coast Empire Records, and that had Stigma on it. Hate breed despair. Uh, fuck, oh, who else? very cool. Oh, Darkest Hour was on it when they were still playing hardcore shows. Sick. Okay. Yeah. Jamie uh, got us on that, and when that, he would give us shows all the time. But he would kind of, kind of fuck us on them. He would lie to me. He told us we played some uh, like a CD release show, a Darkest Hour show in DC when that CD mm-hmm. came out. DC from Western Mass is I don't know like uh oh, that's like I don't know five hour six hour drive five or six yeah all right. And he told us we would get like hundred bucks or hundred fifty bucks or something for the show. To the 90s is pretty good money. Yeah, good money from the 90s, yeah. Um, so we drove down there, played the show, decent show. After the show, I asked the kid about the money. It's like, Jamie didn't tell me anything about money. I can give you like 30 bucks for gas.
0: Jesus Christ. Oh,
1: okay. So, But he gave us a lot of good shows.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, you got, you got hooked up at least with what you were playing, you know, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. maybe not. Monetarily. I called him on. It's
1: like, Hey, sometimes you got to shine a turn. Those were his exact words. Fuck. <laughs> 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 I mean, uh, he's not wrong. He's like, uh, if I had told you, if I had told you, you we're going to get no money, you wouldn't have played the show. I was like, yeah, oh, of course, yeah. Not. Of course he's like, not. But that show is important for you to play. Now you've got a foot in the DC market. It is 100% right.
0: He makes a point. Um, mean, music, so they didn't, did like push button? Like, did you all like do like? I mean, like that, that's like pretty. You know, had that been like the
1: farthest like away you had played before? Or? For me personally, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Felt like you... I was in a in a real band because one band was mostly a local band, and in the entire history of the band, we played maybe fifteen shows. Right. Right. So Just I mean, like, does, does push button like hit the road? Like, kind of after this. No, no. I mean, they did that short little one-week tour with Justin. We never did anything like that because, um, I want to say like, so we do that comp, play a bunch of shows for that. And then we're getting, you know, pretty regular shows between Albany and Connecticut. And, uh, my friend Scott Lee had started booking that Pearl street in Northampton. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we played, uh, a bunch of shows there, and then uh, Jamie offers to put out the seven inch. We record the seven inch, and then in between recording the seven inch and it coming out, um, Hatebreed loses yet another drummer. Mm. And now Jamie is very familiar with Jamie Pushbutton, yeah, so he offers Jamie Pushbutton the Hatebreed job. Got so it. He comes to me, is like, Hey, I got offered. Hate Breed is like, well, wow. you can't say no to Hate
0: Breed. No. So, I mean, like, right then, it's like they're, they're the they're biggest thing in the world. Like, you and know, it's like.
1: Just prior to that, Jamie had started playing with Death Threat. Ah. Because okay. he's on like the first two or three Death Threat records as well. Got it. So he says, I can't do three bands. So he, he leaves Push Button. We get a, a different drummer, some metal dude that Zeus knew. We play, I think, one or two shows with that guy. And everybody's kind of lost interest in it. Cause at this point now there's one original member push button and it's Paul, the bass player. Right. And right. shadows fall is starting to take off and he's in shadows fall. Okay. So okay. we just stopped doing the band. Did you have a a last gig or just kind of fizzle out? I don't even remember. I was trying to remember that today. Like how it ended. Was there even a discussion? Did it just kind of like, yeah, nobody showed up for the next practice. I don't remember. I remember being like that new drummer wasn't a fit and I had only been in bands with Jamie. I'd been in two bands and both of them were with Jamie Pushbutton. Right. And if you're familiar with the first couple Death Threat records or Satisfaction is the Death of Desire or any Pushbutton stuff, you know, he's a very, very good drummer. Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. So to play with a different drum and uh, having played drums, that's what I key off.
0: <clears throat> oh, that's right. That's yeah. what I
1: key off of instead of guitar when I sing is usually drums interesting okay um so i i didn't like the other drummer it wasn't a good fit i mean it was just uh it was just falling apart it was time to end it sure holding on and to something that wasn't there
0: that ends in like what 97 yeah probably around then okay okay i mean were you like all right i mean on to the next one or are you kind of like Duh, all right that didn't work out and like not really thinking about doing a new band
1: um I, pro- I, I don't I don't think I was thinking about bands um, right. we did a, a reunion where we did like a, a push button set and a bloodbath set and then we brought out Stigmata I think All Out War was on that show and Buried mm. Alive very sick <laughs> it's a good gig dude and so Jamie came back to play drums for both of those and then we had Carl play his push-button songs and the bloodbath songs, and then Zeus step in for the push-button songs that he had wrote. It was a very self-indulgent, narcissistic thing. Sure, sounds fun, though. <laughs> I mean, like, when, when was this? That was, I want to say, uh, either late 97 or early 98.
0: Because okay, so not terribly long after, y'all.
1: Started. No, no. Because at that show, prior to that show, um, you know the Connecticut band Higher Force? I don't. I'm not familiar. had Pete from 100 Demons was the singer. Okay. I, I mean, I knew he was in um, the Oi Band, but uh, yeah. didn't Force okay. Reality, America's yes. Greatest yeah. Oi Band.
0: Yeah, For sure. yes. Force Reality. I knew he was in Force Reality, but I did not know he did something after
1: that. Okay, so I'll have to look that one up. Yeah, I think uh, prior to 100 Demons, that was his only hardcore band. Got it. That he's ever done. Mostly, he did Force Reality. So Pete quits Higher Force and Reesh, the drummer, is looking for a new singer so josta recommends me to Reesh, and okay. tells him that push button is playing this show up in massachusetts he should go check it out so reach and the guitar player come up to watch that push button show and then Reesh calls me a few days later and asks me if i want to join higher force
0: what what was higher force like stylistically
1: uh metalcore okay very similar to 100 demons Okay. All right. So like, I mean like Forsaken like, was a higher force song. Ah, okay. Well, that I didn't know this me. when we recorded it. Me. Yeah. Rich played it for me after, but Pete had put different words to it. Because when Rich ah. asked me if I wanted to be in higher force, I knew Pete was the singer for higher force. I was familiar with the band. And Force Reality was one of my favorite bands when I got out sure. of the army. Great band. Um, so I told Rich, I'm not interested in trying to fill Pete's very large shoes. I don't want to sing anything Pete's ever sang, but if you want to do a different band, I'm I'm down. Ah. So he was okay with that idea. And then uh we uh just jammed. And uh bloodbath and and push button both. I was always a big part of like being involved in the writing process. Right. I don't I don't want you to send me a song finished. Like I like to be there and I'm there with uh i mean you can see me right
0: uh video's not up, but i Uh,
1: yeah i have three notebooks sitting next to me i have notebooks in every room and i've been like that for decades so i would show up with notebooks to these practices and just fit songs as they're writing fit lyrics as they're writing songs
0: ah i i I like that that's a a cool way to do that you know that way i I I know what lyrics i
1: got i could say play that part four times Right. Play that part six times. Um so we kind of we, we wrote a lot of stuff. They had a, a few songs already written, which I didn't know that Pete had already sang to me. they weren't recorded, but there's okay. a there's a live video of Pete singing over Forsaken completely different lyrics. Just totally different lyrics. I got it. Okay. Because it wasn't Forsaken, it was whatever it was at the time. It was a higher sure. song. um uh, I what the fuck so I mean,
0: this I mean, this I imagine ends up you guys jam and I imagine this ends up being 100 Demons,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Sean came, Sean. So the original lineup was uh, Ray on guitar, Rick from Tyrant Trooper on guitar, big Rick. Um, Sean Martin from Hatebreed, yeah, the second guitar player. Oh, Okay, cool. And on, on bass was Jay McGuire from uh, he wound up being in the band OTEP. Oh, interesting. Okay. I think he was known as Evil J and Otep. Okay. Um, <laughs> but phenomenal bass player. He's a Berkeley grad.
0: Ooh, shit. All right. I mean, you know, o- Otep's pretty, you know, pr- like pretty, pretty evolved. I, you you know, played I, I one of those six
1: string bases had obviously great equipment, super talented guy, nice guy. showed up to practice one day and, uh, he wasn't there, and Reesh kicked him out because he never showed up with his own weed. Oh, shit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, kind of a, it's kind of a wild reason to like, kick somebody out, <laughs> right? Sure. Okay, I guess. I mean, shit. Reesh is wild. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you guys, you guys. Steve um, took over base. Okay. And created the iconic logo. He was a tattoo artist in Connecticut. So he he drew that. Uh, hundred demons logo that's on lots of hoodies and t-shirts
0: oh yeah i mean i imagine like being like did he come up
1: with the name no sean martin came up with the name okay. uh from that uh hariyoshi oh, the third yeah uh-huh yeah
0: and yeah, when I'm he said it we were like damn there.
1: that's a fucking incredible name that's a it's a badass
0: name it's one of my favorite names in hardcore
1: honestly
2: yeah yeah
0: um, sean martin did not know that That no, shout out to sean um but uh so you you know you guys start and uh, like this is like so, so i'm getting my timeline correct this is 97
1: it's either late 97 or early 98 i know the demo was recorded in 98 okay. but i don't know what month
0: got it got it do you guys like immediately kind of start playing in the area or does it kind of take some time to kind of like like work work
1: up to that i know the first time we played is we jumped on the um uh death threat record release for last days oh sick fuck yeah okay that's in 98 and uh we kind of muscled our way in there i don't know who arranged it but we went to play just before death threat and we played nice uh, I, think we, I think we played the uh, three songs which i think was all we had at the time i don't think the demo was out yet right but, i mean uh, was it like immediately people were vibing or yeah or, okay. yeah yeah Sick. It was, it was, uh, insane to me for the first time we ever played that people were dancing. Like, I mean, did that not really happen with the push button or, uh, push button was an established man when I joined.
0: Yeah, sure. Sure. it's true. Um, so, so this brand new thing, people don't even know the songs
1: cause they're not out. Mm, no. And they're just getting down.
0: That's sick. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then we did the demo okay. uh, and we did a fuckload of those demos. And then Jamie um, Josta offered to put out the record. He wanted wanted to put out the record on Stillborn. Right. And I remember a big discussion at band practice where I don't think Sean will get mad at me for telling the story. Sean was adamant about Jamie not putting out the record. Jamie didn't have the best reputation. Um, you know, like I said about us driving, thinking it paid nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like prom- I told, pro- like over promising perhaps. Yeah, my I was all for. it. He had put out the the push button record, and if Jamie has a vested interest in you, then you're going to get shows. And who sure. better to play with in New England than Hatebreed?
0: Yeah, exactly. They hadn't
1: blown up at the time, but they were a huge local band.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's but, like it's like they're still they're big. They're not perseverance big, but they're
1: big. Yeah. Um, so I was all for it. And I said the worst thing that can happen is that we it does well enough for him to rip us off. Mm, sure. But, the but there's no way. contract with a stillborn record. He's gonna yeah. put out that record. If it does well then we're unsatisfied, we can go somewhere else for the next one. Yeah. And there wasn't a whole lot of options, you know. Um Heprey wasn't even signed to victory at that point. Oh yeah, okay. In I think, oh. yeah. Because when does Satisfaction come out? Two oh, thousand? No, Satisf- no, that was no, no, out. S- no. about ninety five. I played that show with Push buttons.
0: Yeah, Satisfaction ninety yeah, okay. it, 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 five. What's interesting about them is that I don't think Perseverance comes out until two thousand.
1: Oh yeah, it was like five
0: years. Yeah, it's, it's a long period of time um, before. It yeah.
1: Out. So, but. All right, so they had already kicked off One Life Crew victory. Yes, and they almost kicked off Hapery before Satisfaction came out because of a riot at the Webster Theater in Hartford. Um, okay, yeah, you've never I... heard Last Days. What the the death rate record? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So of that, course. that chant before Brotherhood of SBS. Yes. So I filmed that with one of those shoulder-held, full-size VHS camcorders that I used to take to shows back then. Okay, yeah. I have a lot of great old shows on video. That's awesome. Um, So a riot broke out, and once it started to settle down, that chant erupted in the crowd, and we took the audio and put it on that death threat record. But that happened during um, the Cambridge set, and the venue filmed it, and they... I think they sent it to victory or somehow the video got to victory because there were band members involved and altercations with security. Mm-hmm. Basically, Jamie, they were trying to kick off a friend of ours who, who passed away, a uh, mm-hmm. big Mike from the side of the stage and they were putting his hands on him and Jamie stopped playing drums, walked from the, 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 um, drum platform, jumped on top of the, uh, base cap and basically kicked the monster in the face from okay. the top what, the what, what club was this at the webster theater in Hartford. okay i okay like, like, telling the story i don't know
0: i've seen i've seen like another video of like some hate set that like it erupts in like a, a riot from like that time period but so I yeah there was, was
1: another one at tuxedo junction
0: it kind of looks like a like there's like a there's like a stairwell up the side or something. Yeah, yeah, that's the
1: one from Tuxedo Junction. Okay, I've seen
0: that one. I thought this might have been the same one.
1: Well, I got my nose broken that one. Ah, shit, been there. Um, uh, yeah. So, Victory was pretty mad about that, but it it got squashed, I guess. Okay. Um, so I, I didn't think we had a chance of being on Victory. We certainly weren't going to be on Equal Vision. We weren't going to be on Revelation. You know, they didn't sign those type of bands. Yeah, you're too you're, you're different from there. I suppose the Equal Vision at that time, yeah. You're just too different. So I, I thought uh, Stillborn was great because Jamie would give us shows. He had Insane Distro for a small label. Um, But Sean was pretty adamant about not doing it. And then, I don't know, a couple months later, Sean came to practice and said he was joining Hapri.
2: Oh, well, shit, okay.
1: <laughs> interesting
0: interesting yeah. turn of events there Sean um,
1: and if I could show you how stupid I am I told Sean at the time like earnestly like we got a lot of good buzz about the I think our CD was out at the time okay is it wait wait so like wait the first record's out at that point I think so did Sean play on the first record
0: who so wait, did, did y'all end up doing Stillborn, or did you go with something
1: else we went with uh, this Belgian label, Good Life. Okay. Okay. But Hatebreed was constantly losing members. Shit was mm. constantly fucked up. Um, we seemed to have a good buzz. We had a good review from Terrorizer. Even Mr. and R gave us a good review, surprisingly. Interesting. Okay. Um, again, before they turned into hippies and commies. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> and then, uh,
2: <laughs> um.
1: So I told Sean he's joining the sinking ship. I was like, "You really shouldn't join." Me. <laughs> I, I think uh, I, I think it's not gonna. I think you're making a bad decision.
0: Oh, so you were uh, you 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 were you I was were 100% the, wrong. the, the <laughs> demise. So, yeah, yeah
1: Okay, the, d- the demise of what would I like, think? Purchase him a home and. and <laughs> yeah, arguably,
0: arguably, become the biggest band of the genre ever.
1: Yeah, yeah. We pay Sean's bills for a decade
0: you know
1: yeah what do i know
0: (laughs) so so sean leaves but you you guys have the cd out you have you have the first like 100 demons falling down
1: yeah i uh, that came out in 2000 maybe my timeline is off on uh i can't even remember if sean played on the cd i know he played on the demo i know he wrote songs on that cd um, I don't know. You said, the, you said the CD comes out in two thousand. Yeah, I think the CD came out in. I think we recorded it in ninety nine and it came out in two thousand.
2: Well, I mean, it came out in ninety
1: nine. F- yeah, because we did that twenty year reunion thing. at this is hardcore, and that was twenty nineteen. Okay,
0: so not.
1: And I, mean, I guess that kind of
0: makes sense for you, you know you guys start maybe early ninety eight, get a demo out there, write some more songs, and then have something coming out like a year later. That 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 kind of tracks.
1: You know if you're keeping a good clip yeah the band got traction pretty quickly sounds like it um the terrorizer review is my favorite thing ever because all i master killer is all i wanted to sound like ah oh, because everything okay. should sound like master killer i mean agreed yeah um and the terrorizer review was written by uh the guy from stamping ground you know that english band uh, I've heard the name, but I don't know if I've ever actually listened. Really good, man. And cool. and that guy, I'm paraphrasing, but the review was something like, do you know the record you wish Marauder put out after Master Killer? This is it.
0: Ah, uh, that's a great description, too. I said, that's a great description for that record.
1: That that shit made my my life.
0: Oh, yeah, bro. That
1: review. Obviously, it's like 20 years ago I remembered a review. I haven't. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's like that. that kind of thing is
0: like, impactful but also it's like that is a really good way to describe Hunter demons and it's also it makes sense too because it's like okay marauder popping in like mid-90s like you know early mid 90s whatever it's like you know you hear master killer perfect record it's like why would you not if you're playing a heavier style of hardcore why would you not try to emulate that you know um people still do it today and so you know this comes out i mean are you just like really popping in like new england or are you kind of like getting like attention from like kind of all over
1: i mean that magazine is from england
0: yeah yeah um, and your Belgian label you know kind of it sounds yeah. like it's kind of hitting worldwide
1: it's i mean i'm doing a lot of heroin right okay so, so that that's increased um everything is a little fuzzy but sure. it seems like it's going really well. Like we have no shortage of of shows to play. I don't think it seems like there's a good buzz. Like shit isn't popping off yet, but it it seems like the potential is there. Right. Right. And my uh, my friend Scott Lee books created and booked uh, New England Metal and Hardcore Fest uh, at the time. So okay. We so that starts there. around then. Yeah, we played the first couple of those. And that was at the time period where, have you ever been to that venue, the Palladium in Worcester? Palladium, yes, I have. So at those early years of Metal Fest, that small room upstairs, Mm -hmm. where the hardcore bands generally play, that balcony that surrounds it, used to be only um, record label booths. Like the guy from Prosthetic Records would be there.
2: Manning his oh, okay.
1: booth because you know it was the early days of those labels. Trustkill would be up along that rail. You weren't people weren't allowed to stand there, like all those sure. booths okay. were all industry people. I see. Okay. Trustkill Records would be up there. Victory Records would be up there. Prosthetic Records would be up there. So it was a good place to play in that room. Oh, definitely. Those, those people would see you. Sure. And uh, we only had a like a a one record deal with that record label, so. It was a good spot to play. So I mean, she, she, you get you're
0: playing up there. People in the area are really rocking with Hunter Demons. These other labels are, are like you know getting like a, a like a, a front row seat to kind of like seeing y'all's carnage and whatnot. Like what? Like like who who ends up kind of who comes calling? Who starts courting? No, no but it
1: was just wound up being good enough. I see. Which is for um. connections. Yeah. Yeah. That dude actually came out to metal fest. He flew out from Belgium to watch us. Um, but I just said that to, to, to say what a good, good spot that was in the early days of, of metal fest.
2: I we understand. wind up
1: playing uh, a lot of Connecticut shows, you know, through Jamie, the Hanover house, really uh, famous Connecticut spot um, play uh, because from push button, we got the connection out in Albany so, we mm-hmm. play a lot of shows at the QE2, again with Stigmata, Dying Breed, um, all those Troy Core bands. Yep. We played Pearl Street in uh, Northampton, uh, Rhode Island, all, all around New England. They're, uh, they're kind of fuzzy. I was having a hard time playing shows because. And, uh, and I mean,
0: it's mean, actually because of your addiction?
1: Yeah, yeah. Because if you don't have. Uh, like, I remember taking off for, like, weekends, you know, to play a string of shows and stopping at a rest area and going in to shoot up so that I could not be sick. Right. But right. money becomes an issue, and I can only yeah. buy. You know, I don't have the money to buy enough to take with me
0: ahead of time. I see. I see.
1: Okay. So it, it gets to be a problem. I get to be um, unreliable. I'm uh, Mm. short fused on everything. We get offered to uh, play Hong Kong. Crazy. I believe we're the, yeah. Well, that's what I said when Rich came to practice and said that I was like, dude, whatever. Some dude is talking shit to you on the internet. There was no internet then. email, you know, some dude sent him an email. I was like, I'll believe it when, you know, we have plane tickets in hand. He's like, the dude, said he's going to deposit the money in the bank. I was like, okay, whatever. Hit me back when that happens. Then I go to practice a couple of weeks later and he tells me that money's in the bank Fuck. and I don't have a passport. I don't think any of us had passports. We decide we're going to, I don't have the money and I'm spending all my money on heroin.
2: Yeah.
1: And uh, Rich says, I'll give you bad money for the passport. And it's 90 bucks. I take that 90 bucks and buy heroin with it.
0: Yeah. I got kind of figured that might
1: happen. <laughs> weeks go by and they'll let you get your passport. I'm like, no, nah, not really. And, uh, I finally told him I spent it on drugs.
0: Yeah.
1: And then I told me they were going to call Pete and have him go in my place. Uh, okay. <laughs> I told him, I already had a plane ticket. Uh, I got very feisty. I told him, I'll stand out in my driveway with the plane ticket in my mouth. You guys can come take it.
0: So, tumultuous to say the least, kind of yeah, during yeah. during this era. Yeah. This is true. like, this is like what, like 2001?
1: 2000, I think we went to Hong Kong. Okay. I like so
0: did, did did you end up did you end up going to? Hong I went Kong? to Hong Kong.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay. I got the money. So, I had to pay for expedited shipping. Went to Hong Kong. Pretty sick. Yeah. How? Yeah. What was that like? Um, it was cool and and miserable at the same time.
0: I mean, was it miserable because you were sick or was yeah, it just sick?
1: Yeah. uh Okay. Yeah. 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 Hard. I just, hard just got really really drunk and uh there was a dude there. we met this english guy who gave us like a bunch of hash okay smoked a lot of hash did ecstasy for the first time yeah um played a a weird show it was uh um it's probably like 300 kids there maybe okay Something like that, but it was in a venue the size of the Palladium. Oh, Jesus. So it was a room okay, that so held like 1,800, 2,000 yeah, so people. It was people. gigantic. Okay. And then when kids started dancing, the Hong Kong police started smacking them. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Normally at a show, I would say something about that, but I've been yeah. long, I'm not saying shit. Yeah,
0: but say there, you are uh, You say something there, you might not leave the country.
1: And then we we had done a sound check where they dialed everything in. And then when we went out, everything sounded different.
2: I couldn't hear it. Yeah, and we
1: didn't they, you know, we were headlining, we were a brand new band. Like that, that guy yeah. randomly picked us out of the blue to play. He just wanted to bring an American hardcore band it's to Hong Kong.
0: happened to be y'all.
1: Kid who owned a record store in Hong Kong. Yeah. We just threw a dartboard, I guess at a wall and, and we got picked in, uh, so we didn't have like enough material to really headline. So we played like a bunch of covers. I think we played two negative approach covers, a judge cover, cool, uh, something else. I don't know. I got the the show on a VHS tape somewhere that the the promoter put out.
0: Crazy. I mean, not a lot of bands play Hong Kong in general. So you're, I you're believe we were family. the
1: first American band
0: to play. Hong There's Kong. no way you weren't. I I, I can't like the unless some that, like that random half
1: heart. Half heart wasn't first everywhere.
0: There you go. There you go. Hunter Gibbons got him. Um, so, I mean, you guys, but you say you guys come back from that, and and you're kicked out of the band like, a, like what, like a year later?
1: Uh, probably a little less. I moved to Connecticut because it was an hour and a half each way for band practice. Yeah. So I get a job yeah. in Connecticut. I leave the factory and start doing uh, in-ground sprinklers with a friend of mine. Sure. So i yeah. doing, doing a lot of heroin because I'm laid off in the winter but still getting paid. So have right. nothing to do but drugs right um and uh, are you and your wife still together no no okay it's a very odd thing so jamie winds up jamie pushbutton winds up with my wife oh how'd you feel up,
0: about that were you like was that weird oh it was or? not
1: good we had to cancel a bunch of death threat hunter demon shows because we used to play together a lot mm, and i wind okay. up with his wife oh it's very Jerry Springer and very. But y'all, like, so y'all switch.
0: It's is crazy. Okay, y'all switch.
1: The guys. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot to that story. Of, you know. Sure. Like,
0: yeah.
1: But that's that's the basics of what happened. So we canceled a bunch of shows, made it awkward for you know mutual friends that we had for a while. Got it. Got it. Um, okay. So, his wife, my girlfriend, um, is trying to call me in Connecticut. She had bought me because I spent all my money on heroin. She had bought me a cell phone so that mm-hmm. she could keep in touch with me because I didn't have a, a landline right, or a cell phone. And uh, I just turned it off because I was going to get high and I didn't want to hear from her because she would tell me not to get high. Right. So she starts calling people that live near me to come check on me to make sure I'm okay. And they all tell her, I'm sure he's just high. I'm not going over there to bother him. Uh, okay. So she calls the police to do a welfare check on me Mm. and I wind up getting arrested in my apartment for possession of heroin, possession of marijuana, possession of drug paraphernalia, uh, possession of hypodermic syringes. And um, my parents this time, since they saw it didn't work out good with the public defender last time, they paid to bond me out and they paid to, um, for a lawyer for me. Okay. But I'm looking at a uh, a chunk of time. So yeah. my dad isn't that convinced that I'm going to stick around for the trial. So he makes me move up to Mass so they can keep an eye on me. Yeah. And uh, right around then, I get kicked out of the band.
0: Okay. Are you, are you what? Are you like third, you're like your 30s at this point?
1: Uh, 2000, like 34, 35.
0: Okay, so you you go, you know, like like you're you're going through a hard time. You get kicked out uh, and everything. Do you end up doing any of that bid?
1: No.
2: Uh, my
1: Parents paid for a lawyer. And because my prior arrest is in Massachusetts, Connecticut counts as a first time drug offense. Got it. So this lawyer is able to get me into this first time drug program that I shouldn't be in yeah because uh, it's like an outpatient thing and when i go to the meetings it's mostly like kids who got caught in their car smoking weed near the mall sure right nobody there is is like me and then i have a community community service and probation and stuff but if i complete all that it gets expunged it's washed away so that's not even on my record anymore that arrest oh so you you got rid of that completely yeah really good lawyer really sick yeah good lawyer uh, so you, I mean,
0: you don't do the time, but you're not in hundred demons anymore. No. Kind of like what, you know, like what, what, what kind of direction did you kind of go from there?
1: A lot of drugs, a lot of getting kicked out of places I live. Like I, I moved in with my girlfriend and, um, she kicked me out mm. and then I uh, wound up at my mom's. My mom's, I, uh, I OD'd uh, with the needle still in my arm. I came to with her on the phone telling my dad that I died. And um, uh, then I woke up and being, you know, a dumb junkie, I just like pulled the needle out of my arm. I was like, Whoa, oh, what's up? What's going on?
2: What's... Uh, fuck.
1: So she, uh, she kicked <laughs> me out. Yeah. And I, I wound up living with my dad. And I found out that I could get the 401k money from that factory that I worked at for years.
0: Oh, shit! So you probably didn't even, that was probably that, just sitting there. Yeah.
1: That was like 12, 12 grand. If I pulled it out, you know, cause it'd be no matching funds and shit. Right. So I took that 12 grand, but my dad told me for me to stay at his house, he would have to hold that money. And he, okay. would, he would dole it out as I needed.
2: Um,
0: Wait, is this so you know, I mean, like, right? Yeah, yeah, I got you. So, you know, you're you're at, you know, you're, you're there. You're living with your dad. Like, you get this 401k money out, and it's like, obviously, it's like your dad's holding on to it because he doesn't want you to spend it on heroin. Uh, you know, I mean, was the kind of thing where it's like, were were you working at the time, or was it like you're so sick that it's like kind of hard to like keep a job? Like, how like how how are you staying afloat there?
1: trying to get the timeline right i think before this i'm living with my girlfriend and uh i try to kill myself i uh, i intentionally overdose
0: unfortunate okay
1: um at a, in a parking lot yes. and uh, get found by a security guard and uh they give me that narcan yep uh a couple times and oh. then I wind up going to, well. you ever heard of teen challenge? Uh,
0: I don't think so. No,
1: it's a faith-based rehab program. Ah, uh, okay. So forget, forget the team. It has nothing to do with teams. There's no teams there. It's all, it's just a name. Yeah. It's an it. old name from when they founded it in the sixties. So it's a, it's a, you have to be affiliated with a church to get in there. My dad, uh, and his wife, Went to this uh, Assemblies of God church all the time. And that pastor, and like a bunch of people from that church, when I uh, OD'd, they came to the emergency room because, you know, everybody thought I was going to die. So they were all up praying. And when I, I, I came see. to the, the, the pastor, told me I needed to go to Teen Challenge. And okay. I was like a lot of junkies. You get tired of being a junkie and you get tired of trying to get clean unsuccessfully, which is Grace. where the suicide comes from. I, see. So I was, like, right, was, was going
0: to ask kind of how you got to that point, but that makes sense.
1: Yeah. I'll give it a shot. So I went to this, this place. And if you Google teen challenge cult, a bunch of shit will come up because Oh, it's like one of those. Yeah. I mean, you're, um, you, know, you they limit the amount of sleep you can have. I was only allowed to, so this woman I had been living with for like six years, wasn't allowed to talk to her because she wasn't a direct family member. You're only allowed to talk to direct family members. I wasn't okay. allowed to write her letters. I wasn't allowed to call her on the phone, but she wasn't allowed to visit me. And this is a two-year program. All right. <laughs> but we, you know, uh, we talked about it and it was like, it, you know, if it keeps me alive and it gets me clean, then fuck it. Sure. Um. So I, you wake up and like... or 5am and you pray from 5 to 6 and then there's Bible study for a couple hours and then they own a few businesses and you go work for free all day and then there's um, the fourth Wednesday of every month is a six hour mass service church service and uh, from 10.30 to 11 at night you have to read the Bible so you can't go to bed till 11 you have to get up at like four, I think it was. What was the what was the whole like? What was their logic on like limiting the sleep? Uh, brainwashing. I mean, I don't think that's their lot. I mean, that's not their open logic, but that's exactly what it is.
0: Yeah, I mean, like that's like what you do to like like detainees.
1: It's you know it's very structured. You can't go anywhere unsupervised. Like the only phone numbers I can call are my parents' house, my brother. Um, my grandparents were passed away. So that, that's it. That's all the direct family. Okay. And you don't get to dial the payphone. An elder trusted brother dials the payphone, so that you can't call a different number. I see. They screen the mail as it goes out. They screen the mail as it comes in. And I stayed there for like four months. Okay. And you also have to get off. Like I was on a bunch of psych meds and shit because I tried to kill myself.
0: Oh, sure. Okay.
1: And, and you can't be on like methadone, suboxone. You can't be on any of that. You can't be on any meds because Jesus heals all.
0: Ah, so that, on some Christian sh- science type shit. Okay.
2: Yeah. 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 I didn't so
0: you're supposed to be there for two years. And you end up there for four months.
1: Yeah. it really fucked up my head. <laughs> I,
0: I fucking imagine it's it's. When I miserable. left there, I
1: still I still was like a huge believer in God. I just thought they were doing it wrong. Like when you hear oh, people leave Scientology and they're like, "Yeah, Scientology is fucked up," but the process works.
0: Right, right. I, I, I'm i I'm, I'm fascinated by Scientology. So, and like it's funny, you like a lot of stuff you're talking about is, is I'm like, oh, this sounds like Scientology. It's a, it was a cult for sure. Yeah. So, when were I you like there, were I, you like religious before you joined this?
1: No, I mean I grew up Catholic, but that stopped right. when I was like eight. Sure, but there was an epiphany. Like I went, I went to my dad's church twice before this suicide attempt because mm-hmm. I was just, you know, when you're desperate, people do desperate things. Yeah, and just reaching for a rope, man. I'm fucking drowning, just yeah. looking for a helping hand. So I'll try anything. So I went there, and, and you know, uh, you get love bombed if you're new.
0: Oh yeah, they they they. If you go to a church, they go in on trying to keep you there.
1: And and this is an Assemblies of God church, you know, Pentecostal thing, you know, laying on hands to heal you and yep. speaking in tongues, all yeah. that shit. So I I met these people twice, you know, for a couple hours. And when uh, I had that intentional overdose, they gave me the Narcan, and they told my dad he's not coming around. Like we're gonna have to call it. And my dad talked him into to, giving me more Narcan, and. Mm. At the same time, this is what my dad told me. The people from the church showed up, and they started praying. And then I came out of it. And then the first thing I heard was the pastor telling me I need to go to Teen Challenge. So to me, that was, this is God. This is my chance. This is God telling me. Okay. I see. And then I go to this place where I'm just inundated with it. And, uh, you know, you're reading the Bible all day and have to write reports on books of the Bible. And then I wound up being in, uh, because I play drums i wound up being uh the drummer we had a like a worship band Mm -hmm. so i worked in the studio and i played drums and and, uh, it was a pretty chill existence because the studio was the only air conditioned thing in the building other than like the senior pastor's offices so the summertime it was a nice place to be because the recording equipment had to be um air conditioned sure so you actually got a little bit of reprieve from like the rest of that ridiculous And I got to play drums and I, and I, I, you know, I was, I was all in, like, I love Jesus. I love God. He saved me. The Bible is a fascinating book.
2: Uh, Well, it
0: certainly is. Uh, So, I mean, but, but you, but you escape you, you, but,
1: but but with the the mentality
0: that you're like, it's, they're just doing this
2: wrong.
1: Yeah, when I got out, I was all fucked up in the head, but I was taking um, these Berean courses to be a pastor. I was going, taking like correspondence school to be a pastor wow, because okay. I wanted to be a pastor, and I, I was still like I was uh, working with the pastor at the church, my dad's church, which became my church. I, be, I became like a uh, like a staff member at that church. Okay. I would show up early on Sundays, and I would you know help count the collection money, and uh, run the tape because he recorded all the sermons, and then I would make copies of the sermons to, to uh, you know devoted parishioners that wanted a copy of today's sermon on tape. They would I see. A hundred dollars, okay. and I would give them the tape on the way out, and, and uh, you know then I would have conversations with the pastor. He'd help me with my schoolwork and that kind of shit.
2: I see. then I started okay.
1: doing drugs again and then I started mm. stealing some money from the collections as I was counting it to buy heroin
0: So you, you know it just you you it's like you end up uh, with some time over pre but you you end up kind of you relapse and you kind of go back to down that path
1: yeah that's when I, I get kicked out of my girlfriend's and OD at my mom's house and wind up at my dad's again
0: okay all right so we got the timeline timeline correct here it,
1: you're you're like what 35 36 this is probably like 2004 so probably like 36 38 okay gotcha
0: so you ended up back at your dad's but you you know and we talked about the 401k money where you where you had access to it but your dad's going to be kind of the arbiter for it and, and yeah everything.
2: yeah
0: what uh i mean kind of you know, now that you're kind of under his care,
1: so to speak, like, 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 you know, like what, what did you do from there? Well, I'm, I'm working at the machine shop again. So you're back there. Okay. Yeah. And I'm scamming my dad. Cause you know, if you go to any given gas station, there's usually a receipt hanging out of a pump Oh yeah. or, some, or somewhere close to the top of a trash can at the gas station. Yeah. So I would put just enough gas in my car and get a receipt for 20 bucks. I see. Okay. Spend the rest on, on uh, heroin, and the same thing. Like, I'm uh, hey, I'm gonna go eat somewhere, and then just go find a receipt at Subway or McDonald's or the Pizza Spot, and then spend that money on heroin, and then have a sandwich when I get back. Sure, sure. or not eat because I'm high. So I mean,
0: like it, it like it sounds like it, it's like it's like as heroin addiction, you know, is, is to my understanding, it's like this kind of becomes. Away from working at the machine shop, this kind of becomes like a second job almost of Yeah. Try, of trying to score and like, you know, like like working out like like your different scams around your dad in order to kind of like make it,
1: you know, like make it work. Yeah. I was a functional addict from like 96 to <sighs> probably around around this time where it started falling apart because the habit got so big that you know, my paycheck couldn't cover it, so I have to hustle to make the money. Because if you're a heroin addict with a habit, like, I can make it to work if I got heroin. I'm not going right. to make it to work if I don't have heroin.
2: Mm, right. So I would
1: be late to work. I would give my, my boss knew I was a junkie. Yeah. But there was alcoholics that worked there. It was like a, it was only like 15 employees and they're all kind of fuck ups and, nobody really knew how to do my job and even though i was a fuck up i could still do my job very well all the work was going out the door um because i had left i had gone into the bathroom to shoot up in the middle of work and left bags of dope in my needles and spoon sitting in the toilet and people had gone in and out and they just left them there everybody (laughs) knew it was me but i would go into my boss you know like three days before payday two days before payday and tell him like, Oh, I got to get a tire fixed on my car. I must've had 500 flat tires. You better say you get your entire shop going, bud. <laughs> but I always paid him back and he knew if he didn't loan me the money, I wasn't coming to work the next day.
0: Oh, uh, well, sure.
1: <laughs> so yeah. they, he enabled me <laughs> because it was in his best interest too.
0: well, yeah. You, he I mean, to a, a, yeah. He doesn't want to like lose the worker.
1: Yeah. I got to a point with my dad where I, um, he, Shook down my room when I was gone at work and I came back and nobody was home, but it's like all the needles that I had stored in my dresser were sitting in a pile on my bed with a note. Like we need to talk. Right. And he gave me an ultimatum. And I said, he's like, you got to choose Homer to heroin. And I said, I'll choose the heroin. Mm-hmm. He's, just give me the rest of my money, the balance of my money. And then I went and lived at the homeless shelter.
0: How long were you like at the, at the homeless shelter for?
1: Probably a little over a year. Was it I the, kind of... the main part? And then I've okay. got a room in the back.
0: I oh, got it. Okay. But I didn't know if it was the kind of thing where it's like, I know sometimes they'll only like let people kind of like sleep there and like, but you can only be there for a specific, like, like, like
1: amount of time. No, it was a clean and sober shelter. You could be there as long as you needed to be there. Okay. But uh, they would uh, randomly search people coming in. They would, you know, they were all the people that worked there were ex junkies and alcoholics. They knew what to look for. They knew the trick, sure. Yeah, and you weren't allowed to like at seven a.m. Everybody had to be out of out of bed and away from the bed area. You weren't allowed to be there till five. You weren't allowed to be there shiftless. You know, they wanted you to go out looking for a job. Right. I had a job oddly at a child's uh, detention facility. A well, youth det- I used what were you doing there like kind of like like a counselor co
0: sure i was gonna say co type work
1: yeah i worked nights so i would go in the bathroom and shoot up and then in the morning tell the kids drugs were bad you know i mean so
0: what i'm i mean like crazy dichotomy there but it just this seems to be kind of like like this is your life at the time you know and uh what's, I mean, like you said, you're there at the homeless shelter for like a year. Like what, what gets you out of there?
1: Uh, I OD at the shelter at the clean and sober shelter. Okay. Um, intentionally. And they find like a suicide. This time I wrote a note and they find that and the state commits me to the psych ward. I'm I'm really down, really depressed, really over it. Um, and, uh, so I don't tell anybody where I'm at. I don't tell my job where I'm at. I don't tell my parents where I'm at that I'm in the, the psych unit, that things went sideways yet again. So I'm there and they keep telling me, you need to talk to the doctor in the morning. I said, if you put me in the room with the doctor. I'm going to knock him out. They're like, okay, you're not seeing the doctor. I don't shower. I don't eat in like five or six days. And then uh, my mom comes with a letter from the state saying this is when I find out that the state is, is trying to take me to court to commit me for like four months or something. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you better figure it out. Cause at this point I'm banned from two detoxes Okay. for, for getting caught with
0: drugs. Are you banned from the shelter or two? I imagine. Yes. For, okay. Yeah. That makes sense.
1: Um, and, uh, this is a locked psych unit. I try to, uh, to kick my way out of a locked door one time. Um, i'm 40 years old at this point right i get tackled by a bunch of orderlies and they uh put like a they call it a safety blanket which i thought was going to they keep threatening me with this thing i thought it was going to be like a straight jacket but it's like a blanket that wraps you up from like just under your chin to the top of your feet okay super tight and i fucking had a panic attack
0: oh but they God. Shot that me. sounds sounds fucking awful yeah
1: yeah i was begging them like i'll behave i'll behave i'll be good but they had shot me with so much shit i passed out like six minutes into it and then i realized that they gave me so many narcotics because i was being so violent swinging on all these orderlies that i yeah. tried to do it again like two days later so i could sure because you, it you get narcotics yeah yeah then uh i don't know you get clean when you when you run out of options basically so i was kind of out of options so how long are you in this this
0: site facility?
1: Probably like uh, three weeks, and then they moved me to a um, like a group home kind of setting. Okay, where it's and <laughs> and they put me in the neighborhood where I go cop dope all the time. Shit, like God, right this- right right around the corner from the building that I always go to. So I think, oh, this is fucking awesome because now when cops stop me. I got a reason to be here.
0: Yeah. I'm at the group home around the corner.
1: They can't say shit to me. This is super convenient. This is fucking awesome. Jackpot. I win. Mm -hmm. Like I beat the system (laughs) and they, uh, because I'm so fucked up, they put me on disability. So I'm getting a monthly check. I'm right where I want to be. But the first night I'm there, I walk across the street to the, to the main road out of the neighborhood. This is like the hood. I walk out of the neighborhood to uh, the Wendy's, get some fries, come walking back. Apparently, uh, three kids saw me in the Wendy's, pull money out of my pocket
2: mm-hmm. and it
1: ran up ahead of me and i walked by a bush and one of them pops out from behind me and grabs me, but kind of loose. And I don't think much about it because this is a neighborhood where I know people, I come by here, I'm here all the time. Right. They grabbed me so loose. I thought it was somebody fucking with me. Um, and then I see two other kids run from across the street. They're probably like 16, 17. Sure. And uh, then I was like, oh, shit. So I start fighting with the one kid. And I hear him saying, he put the money in his in his front pocket. And I keep trying to pull their hands out of my pocket while I'm fighting them off. And they don't get my money. I get beat up a little bit. They get beat up a little bit. But then I'm thinking, man, this is not a good place to live. Fuck.
0: Well, I mean, so it's like, you know, like you you kind of this situation those kids are probably neighborhood kids they're going to probably see you again you know what have you like you know who who knows you know like what like what you're going to have to kind of face like you know for round 2 if they like get more people with them or some shit like that like what i mean like you know how long are you, are you have how long are
1: you required to be in this group home facility i mean to like get my shit together i mean there's right. no requirement but i've burned all my bridges nobody will take me in yeah because there's a chance you wake up and all your shit's gone. Did
0: Did you have like, I mean, like you know, you you've been involved in the scene and like you know involved with like you know like like hardcore for like like a, a long time. Did you have like
1: friends try to like reach out and help or anything like that? I mean, I had distanced myself from a lot of people. I see. I, okay. I tend to only be like. I know a lot of people. I don't have a lot of close friends and even the close friends I have now, they'll tell you, I don't talk to them often. Right. I just don't like this weekend. I'm going to go to the FYA pre-show. I'm not going to the show. I'll go to the pre-show. And that's going to be my socialization for the weekend because I know a bunch of the crew guys will be there that I know. Yeah. I'll hang out with them. And, uh, when does this come out? Uh, this come out the, the, during the festival. So this comes out like this Friday. So Friday night, missing link is playing a hundred demons cover. I'm gonna, oh, I'm you're, gonna uh, you're, you're coming out for it. Yeah.
0: I'm going to jump up and do it. Nice. That's sick. What track suffer? Hell yeah. Beautiful. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, and like, it's like, you know, it, it's, it's like, I, I, it's cool that you're, you know, you're, you're, it's cool that you're coming at it all,
1: you know? Um, And, uh, and and, and I've talked to some, some people from the scene who, who ran into me during that era. Like they would see me at a gas station or something. Yeah. I have no recollection of it. And they tell, they told me that I was, um, they were scared for me. They were concerned.
0: Sure. I mean, I'm sure that you're like in like a fog during this whole time period.
1: And yeah, like like super skinny, unhealthy, volatile, you know, like a miss. Just misunderstand what you say. and want to fight you. Right. Right. I mean, I was doing a, a lot of fucking um, things I'm not proud of to get money. You know, sure. when you're, when you're fighting other homeless people over who has the right to get the empties out of that particular dumpster, you're not at a, a high point in your life. You're not doing yeah. well.
0: That's that. I mean, that's, that's, that's one of the, I mean, that is like in regards to just being a human, that's probably one of the tougher places that you can be in. So, you know I
1: mean? the, those are real fights that happen. <laughs> oh, I mean, I I believe it. You know, who gets I mean. to stand on this particular corner in Panhandle? People fight over that shit. Oh yeah, oh, you yeah. don't get that sweet spot outside the mall without, you know, being the top dog. For sure. You know, it, it, it's it's
0: it's like a I I imagine being homeless. Kind of in this in this whole scenario is its own ecosystem and hierarchy and it has its own set of rules. And, and everything that you're kind of having to encounter while you're dealing with being so sick. Um,
1: I get moved to a different group home because the woman who owns that one purchases another one in a better neighborhood and it's okay. right up the street from the methadone clinic. Okay. So I joined that methadone clinic because I can walk there every day because right. until you establish yourself at the methadone clinic, you have to go every day. So it wasn't really an option where I was before
0: because I sure. didn't have a vehicle. Yeah. No transportation.
1: So I get, I, get, I get to this other house and I get on the methadone Clinic and I do better. So now I'm only shooting up cocaine. Okay. Just to get high every now and again. Right. And I'm kind of off the heroin. But I'm there for a while and I get a, a, a call from Rich, the drummer from 100 Demons. And Pete has quit the band again. And they have like some tours lined up, a European tour. So he asked me if I want in. And what year is this? 2006. 2006. So, so you're like 40 what?
0: Uh, 40. Okay, so you're 40. Got it. Yep. And, and so...
1: Uh, I don't yeah. remember the order, but we do two... Oh, the first show back is Metal Fest. Okay. It's the first show booked. But I tell my friend Scott, because he books a, a local club too, I tell him I don't want to play Metal Fest in front of, you know, 2000 people that's my first show so give us a club show and and i'll be good so we do a club show then i do metal fest then we do uh a shy hallou tour i mm-hmm. can't remember how long that is and then we do like a two-week Madball terror have heart hundred demons tour cool cool huh? and then we do europe with sworn enemy
0: Good for the time period, for sure. How, like, what is it? I mean, like, you jump back on stage, like, did it? Did it feel good? Or like, kind of like, where's your mental at with it?
1: Um, the I've never played shows sober, right? Um, I'm still smoking weed, so it's all right. I'm, I'm. Uh, it feels like a second chance, so I'm pretty right. excited.
2: Good, good. Um,
1: Yeah, I I lied to Rich and didn't tell him about the cocaine and stuff and told him I was, you know, clean, clean and sober, good to go, which I I wound up being for
2: those tours.
1: Okay, so I mean, you you were able, you were
0: able to have enough hold on kind of like the the issue at hand to kind of do those without any problems.
1: Yeah, the opportunity was important enough that I I stayed focused and disciplined, smoked weed and drank, but That
0: was it, but but not but nothing hard. So uh, you know, like I mean, like how was like people's like was there like a like a um a positive response to like oh like you know Bruce is back?
1: Uh, I don't know. Okay, Hundred Demons. My perception of Hundred Demons is very different than I think a lot of people's perception of me and Hundred Demons. Like. I was in the, you know, I'm a founding member of that band. Right. I I I think I helped create the uh, the sound of that band and the 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 vibe. Yep. But I played the shows, you know, in front of 20 people, in front of 30 Mm -hmm. people. I I played the shows. I played the shows. Nobody gave a fuck about. Right. I played the shows where we got paid 50 bucks to drive to Rochester, and nobody showed. Dying Green played, and then we packed up our shit and left. Three people paid. They got their money back. We left. We played uh, Alabama to thirteen people. Sold one t-shirt. Door deal. Got paid nice. nothing. God. Yeah. That, that, that's those are my hundred.
0: That, that's that's your hundred demons experience in the beginning, like the, the 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 in the trenches days. Yeah. You know. So two
1: thousand six when I came back, you know, those guys had a video on MTV Headbangers Ball.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. I remember the one. Yeah.
1: Repeat process. Oh,
0: repeat process. Our that has got to be surreal. Like to, to come to like, when you, when you're not, when you're in the band initially, it's like, it's like, you know, you're struggling and then you come back and like, you know, people are like all
1: about it. I wouldn't say all about it. Those are the 2006 is when we played in Alabama to 13 people.
0: Oh, okay. So, so you come back and it's like that. I thought you were saying like. Uh,
1: no, I, I mean, yeah, it was like that sometimes, but there were good shows then.
0: Okay, I see. I see. The,
1: the majority of the early shows were, uh, you know, Albany was some good shows, Connecticut some good shows, but there was you know, new band shit.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it like, where and it, which makes sense. So, and, and this is always interesting. It's like you know, not like. Uh, not like hundred demons like legacy it's like it's like it's it's always interesting hearing from like someone like yourself who's there at the beginning it was kind of like there at the beginning in the early stages of this band where it's like yeah it's like this band in the modern canon is is heralded as like you know like like, very pivotal to like like this sound or whatever but it's like you know you're given the real story here it's like not every show was like you know we were the
1: biggest band in the world um and even you know those early days, good shows. Yeah. But I'm, I'm a grown ass man. You know? Yeah. You got to be
0: so much older than a lot of people in a scene during that time period. It,
1: it's, it's not just that. Like I need to pay my fucking bills. I can't yeah. be gone for the weekend for, you know, we're, we're getting paid $150, $200 a show. Yeah. That's all going in the fucking gas tank. Right. Right. You know, there's, there's nothing to split at the end You know, I didn't, I didn't have money from shows until i rejoined in 2006 the guarantees were okay right right but even then taking you know going on an actual tour taking time off from work yeah
0: you're not going to make the same money i'm 40 years old like yeah you're walking away from a
1: two-week tour with 300 dollars in my pocket you know i don't give a fuck if all the shows were sold out right right that's cool and all but you know
0: you I don't keep want to go
1: back on. to the homeless shelter. I've been there; it's, yeah. it's not cool. So
0: you know, you 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 rejoin in 2006, and you do this like these these tours, you know, like what have you, like you know, all pretty hot stuff for the time period, you know, and, and everything. How how long does this stint go for?
1: Maybe a year and a half. I, I quit in 2007. Okay, so so on one of those U.S. tours, Justin Marcoux dies. And I get a phone call uh, while we're on tour. I don't have the money to fly back, and uh, I tell myself that you know that Justin would would tell me to play the show, you know, right? Uh, and the, the the shit that I'm I've missed for hardcore to play shows to go to shows is so fucking ridiculous. Go to go to your friend's funeral. Go to your friend's wedding. Yes. Fuck the show. The people people will get over it. If you cancel it or if you miss a show. Sure. Um, sure. But that, that shit had me fucked in the head. And we played um, California with Sleeping Giant. Oh,
0: yeah. And yeah.
1: that's where I met Tommy and Ryan from Sleeping Giant. Yeah. And Justin's death, uh, you know, had me looking to Jesus again. And running into those guys was just, to me, it was, oh, this is another sign from God. He put these very religious guys. In my path right when I needed them. It's not an accident. It's right. not a coincidence. So that shit uh was a, a reawakening of that. I see. Okay. But after I Europe, I filled in on a tour singing for since the flood. Oh shit. Okay. Because Hundred Demons didn't have anything going on, and I just wanted to uh just wanted to get out of town and stay busy. But I didn't re- it was a bad decision. I didn't realize that it was a tour that had fallen apart because Romala was supposed to be on it. But Rob was God. going through shit and they canceled the tour. And that's okay. why Chuck the Singer didn't want to do the tour since the flood singer, not because he couldn't. So it was I kind I was of a, stepping like a up idea. Oh shit. Okay. Not realizing it.
2: And
1: yeah. It also made uh Rish upset, you know, that like why are you doing that? You know, you should be focusing on this band. And then, uh, there's some personal shit that happened that I misunderstood between me and Rich, which right. made me salty and I quit the band. Okay.
0: So, so you're, you're not, if you rejoined in 2006, but by not even before 2008,
1: you're, you're already out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> One of so, my favorite things is, there's a story on Lamgo. Uh, hmm You know, Hundred Demon Singer quits, and there was a comment: Dude quits the same band for the second time. Supreme douchebag. That that always makes me laugh.
2: Yeah,
1: that dude's spot on. I mean, think second name was Anonymous.
0: Oh yeah, Anonymous is really on Lambgoat for sure. Um, Dude's on there all the time. That guy's on there all the time. He's got a lot to say. Uh. You know, so you, after you, you, you quit the second time or or you're out of, you're out of the band a second time, you know, but you're, you're clean, you know, right. During this time period, like what, like what did you to kind of stay on that path? What did
1: you do next? Um, I ran into my friend, Scott Lee had bought a bar in Westfield mm-hmm. and, Acacia strain was on the sounds of the underground tour in
2: 2007.
1: Okay. And, uh, their van had broken down. So he had a a replacement van and he needed somebody to drive it out to Cleveland
2: to drop it off
1: with them. He asked me if I would do it for X amount of dollars. I said, okay, if I can leave tomorrow and not tonight, he said, sure. So I drove out there. Um, and when I get out there, their driver decides he's going to quit. No. Oh. He says that he needs to go home for family stuff. But after doing the job, I realized that he just wanted out. Um, so I, they asked Scott asked me like, will you stay out there and finish this tour? Cause that was a long tour. I think there was still like a month left of the tour. Right. But I, I had one pair of underwear, one clean t-shirt, <laughs> um, so I said, I don't have anything. It's like, uh, oh, a band will pay for it. I'll pay for it. Go to Walmart, get, get what you need. And then I went around and, and like just asked bands to donate a T-shirt to me because there was like 15 bands on that. Tour. Oh, yeah, it's a ton on that one. And uh, so I cobbled together a wardrobe and, and I think I was getting paid 150 or or $100 a week. Okay. They didn't have no money at the time. Acacia strain yeah. in 2007. They were like one of the opening tier bands. Yeah. They weren't, they weren't big yet. No. And it was, it was set up like Ozfest, So it was, you know, load out at midnight and load in the next day at 9 AM, 8 AM. And it's a six or seven hour drive. So it's an overnight drive, right? which is why they wanted to the drive. So they could all be well rested. It made sense. Yeah. So they could perform well. It's a big opportunity. Um, so I spent most of that $100 on Red Bulls to stay awake. Yeah, fuck. And then, uh, you know, those 15-passenger vans in the middle of the summer, idly, the AC does not stay running. Oh, that shit is
2: hot, bro.
1: So I, I couldn't sleep well. Yeah. Um, and you're, not only that, you're parked fairly close to the stages. Yeah, it's loud as fuck. So I would get, you know, when, once I would get extremely exhausted, I'd get a couple hours sleep. But uh, from there, after that, um, Scott gave me work at uh, the Palladium. I started as a stagehand at the Palladium, and I started working security for the the Western Mass clubs, working the door for the hardcore shows. Got it. And um, the people who owned the Palladium also owned the Webster Theater in Hartford, and I lived kind of in between them, so I'd work at both venues and I'd work my way up to you know getting all day stagehand because. Early on, you're just the in and out. And oh, really?
0: Okay.
1: And then they fired the production runner. So I got that job because I was already in my 40s and carrying heavy shit all day. It was awesome. <laughs> so I got the job where I would just go shop for the, the riders and stock the tour buses and the dressing rooms. It was a flat rate pay instead of an hourly, but it was much better on my back.
0: Yeah. And they got yeah, having to do the heavy lifting. It's probably way chillier just going grocery shopping, essentially.
1: Yeah, and Scott managed a bunch of bands, so then I started, uh, I think it was 2007 as well. Um, He hired me to do merch for Legia, and since the flood, we're doing a tour together. Okay. I was going to do merch for both bands and get paid, I don't know, X amount of dollars per week. Then the the guy he had slated to tour manage dropped out of the, the picture like a few days before the tour started, so he asked me if I could tour manage it. I never tour managed anything in my life. So he explained to me what to do. And I went out there and, and tour managed the shit show of a tour that had bands jumping on for a week or two, then jumping off like the miles between remember that straight edge band from Maine. Oh, <laughs> I remember the name. Yeah. They were on for like a week. Carnifex was on for a week. I know that one. They were, they had just recorded at, at Zeus's at planet Z and were looking for some shows to get back to, uh, uh, California. Right. Um, can't remember who else was on it but that was also the summer where gas shot up to 4 dollars a gallon. Oh dude, this is like which doesn't sound crazy now but back but then, then it was, was like
0: fucking $1.25 25 a gallon. Yeah, it was crazy that summer. I remember I remember this distinctly.
1: And this tour already had like I wanna say 30 40% door deals. Ooh, and, okay. Uh A a bunch of other shows went to door deals. A bunch of the door deals got canceled. Uh, I had to cut my pay to keep the tour going because gas was so expensive. We were stopping at like supermarkets to buy hot dogs and a a little grill so that everybody could eat every day. Yeah. Damn. Um, Carnifex were being ridiculous cunts and I threatened to fight them all. Right what well, was what was their deal? Were they just complaining about money? Money, and um, you know they kept saying, "Oh, the last time we played here, this place was sold out." I don't know what's going on. Well, the last time you played here, you fucking opened up for whoever. Wasn't yeah. like you were headlining your shit. No one wants to hear that bullshit either. And it's, and like, it's like shut up. You got this. Was MySpace days? You, your fans know you're here. If they're not here, it's not my fault. Yeah, it's a door deal, and you get X amount of this percentage because you're lower on the bill. An X amount of zero is still zero.
0: Yeah, don't yeah, don't don't know what to tell you. This is just like this is what you're most likely in that situation, and it's what their agent agreed to. So it's like take it up with their with your agent.
1: And, and I'm I'm friends with these guys now. Like yeah. I've i worked it out with them. I have no problems with with Scott and Freddie. I love to death the bass player. What right. a great guy. I, I don't but, know any of them. I, I just remember that being a band. But uh, they're they're a pretty big band now. Oh, I know. Yeah, I know they're large. Um, So I was riding with Legia, but I was, I didn't know those guys. I was friends with Since the Flood. Uh, Yeah, that makes sense. I'd done a couple tours with them. Right. had sang for them. Um, But so, Scott was under the impression that I, I, Since the Flood weren't my friends. And one day he came up, he's like, we should be getting paid more, at least more than Since the Flood. And he had been bitching so so much that i lost i was like you know what do me a fucking favor go home if you're unhappy pack up all your shit and go home or better yet let's fucking have it out right now me and you no you know what go get everybody in your fucking band and i'll fight all of you i'm tired of hearing your fucking shit and then he can't calm down and like, I get it. You're unhappy. We're all unhappy, man. This tour is fucking struggling. It's a shit show. I fucking cut my pay to keep it going. I don't need you fucking crying in my ear like a child.
0: And, yeah, and you're a 40 plus year old man, too. It's like, you know, like, like uh, you, you could be going and working, doing something else.
1: Yeah. I just, I didn't need it. It was the, you know, it was clearly a shit show, the tour. It was yeah. clearly fucking, things were not good. But I, I don't know what to tell you. You f- talk, yeah, like you said, talk to your agent, talk, talk to your manager. agent.
2: Yeah,
1: it's not my fucking problem. So that was the first tour I TM'd. The <laughs> and then uh, I just wound up uh, working off and on for Acacia Strain. I would do merch for them, and then when their TM left, I TM them. I uh, I worked for Recon for a couple tours, a US oh, yeah. tour and a European tour, and um, then. Uh, Swiss who used to tour manage Acacia Strain, he uh, he wound up tour managing I think uh, Kingdom of Sorrow. Then he oh, became cool. became a bus driver. He's currently a, a bus driver, owns a bus. Um, and I took over TMI for Acacia Strain, and I did that for a couple of years.
0: Got it. So, th- and this is all like what, like late two th- tw- like two thousands, early twenty tens so 2007 to
1: 2012 i I worked for bands
0: okay so you you're just you're on the road you're tme you're doing merch um, and in between working
1: at the venues
0: okay okay so you got an ecosystem and you got a good setup
1: and i'm still getting that disability for being uh, a crazy person
0: oh that's right good for you (laughs) um are you like are you i mean like you know got to ask I me, mean, are you staying clean during this time period or are you struggling? Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. I've tried to stay busy. i tried to, uh, like as soon as I did my laundry, when I came home from a tour, I just wanted to go back out, get, get back
0: out there for sure. Yeah. For sure. So I was
1: happy when I would do a couple like back to back tours it was, it was nice.
0: Right. Not, not like a lot of downtime, you know, or anything like that. Just like yeah, keeping yeah. a focus on, on the job. I hear you. So, and like, you know, obviously, you, you know, during this time period, you don't have enough time to do music because you're gone all the time. Um, yeah. like, at least I assume. So you, you say you do that from 2007 to 2012. Yeah. What into show 2012? What what where do you
1: end up stopping? Uh, when the van flipped over. <laughs> oh the, shit! In oh. California with acacia strain. That's where we stopped. Dead on the right. road. Fuck. After sliding for a considerable amount on the roof. Town. So I I do days remember days prior
2: that happened.
1: Right. Right. So I was in two van accidents in a week.
0: And were you just like, this this is run its course?
1: Um, I was pretty fucked up after the first one. Yeah. So we had just come back from Europe and uh, it was Thanksgiving time and Acacia Strain had a tour that started at California metal fest. It was going to be a, a Vela Maya Acacia strain co-headliner with twitching tongues and mm-hmm. volumes on it. And the band wanted to stay home for Thanksgiving. And they asked if me, um, the merch guy and the sound guy would take the van out to California. Right. And we were all single. I guess none of us were family people. So we we're like, yeah, no problem. Um, and we got in a van accident with uh Acacia Strange van in Texas. Um when I did uh a turn into one of those emergency things because I was running out of gas or that um coming out of that Oklahoma panhandle on 40 going into Texas. Okay. There's nothing around there. It was Yeah, uh,
0: West Texas is
1: desolate. Yeah. Yeah, like one in the morning on uh like early Thanksgiving morning. Okay. And Nobody was coming. The speed limit's, I think, 75 there. But it's long and flat. You can see forever. Mm-hmm. I looked. Nobody was coming. I turned, got T-boned. Oh, when, when the cops showed up, and it flipped the van onto its side, uh, the other two guys were sleeping, so they were in fucking panic, waking up to that. Yeah, I felt horrible because I ruined of strength van. I didn't feel, at the time, and. Still, to this day, I don't feel like it's my fault because I those people did not hit their brakes till they were right up on us. They were nowhere to be seen. The speed limit is 75. People generally do 10 over the speed limit. Right. One in the morning, the night before Thanksgiving, I feel like they were doing probably close to 100.
0: Yeah, I mean, and also it's like, you're saying it's like, you looked, that's you know.
1: One of the biggest drinking nights of the year. Right. So the cop, wanted to give me all the field sobriety tests because I'm covered in tattoos and shit. Sure. And, uh, legally I'm at fault because I'm making an illegal U-turn. Right. Um, so I tell him, yeah, no, no drugs with me. You know, any drug test you want to do, I'm happy to do. And I did all that roadside sobriety tests, all that shit. And I said, you need to test these people. I was like, look, there's no skid marks here. And he's like, yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, but it, the, one of the people had bilateral femur fractures, mm. which you can bleed out from that. Okay. So they they had to close the highway and land a helicopter. Fuck.
0: So yeah, I guess I, so, because it's like so far away from everything.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and because that's a that's a dangerous injury to have. I was a licensed EMT. So that's the only reason I know that. Oh, okay. Um. So now I'm, I I feel bad. So I call up Scott Lee, and I got to tell him all this. So I'm on the phone with him. I'm very upset. I feel bad. Um, I feel horrible because that person got hurt and because i ruined Acacia Strains van and, and I'm, I'm pretty shook up about it. And, and uh, the merch guy's feet are all cut up because he was barefoot and the van wound up on its side. Was, uh, his feet went through the window. Mm. So I feel like an asshole and a piece of shit. And, uh, but the, Uh, Don's feet is the only thing that's hurt. He gets them bandaged up. We get to a, uh, hotel. The next day is Thanksgiving. We can't really go anywhere. Um, Scott, uh, sets it up where we can, we're going to rent a box truck. (coughs) He calls some kid he knows in Texas, picks us up at the hotel. The plan is for us to cross load me and the sound guy because the merch guy's feet, he can't walk on them. We're going to cross load all this gear into the box truck. We don't even know what works, what doesn't work. All the merch. <coughs> um, and then we're going to drive that. Now we have less time to make it to California and only two drivers. And uh, the plan is for us to keep going. I don't, I don't want to go. I don't want to crawl back in a vehicle and drive right now. Yeah. Fuck no. Um, but we do, we get there and he borrows uh, Zabalba alpha Omega van mm-hmm. from me. Yep. And then a trailer from somebody else, some ratty trailer. And uh, <clears throat> we get there just in time to, to put the gear on stage for those guys to play that show. And then I'm oh, telling Scott, I, I don't really want to crawl in this van. I don't know if I want to do the rest of this tour. And I kind of get talked into it. And then Right. That's the, uh, the Vale of Maya. I think we played like two of those shows and then had the other accident. But that's where I meet um, Taylor and Colin. Ah, uh, okay, yes. Twitching and, Twitch and tongues is on that tour because um, Vincent is a huge fan.
0: Got it. Which, which, which makes sense. And and for that time period is is like I I kind of remember this tour happening now that I think about it.
1: Yeah, well, it happened without Acacia Strain, they, right? We played. Right, they played two shows, and then I I had uh, that's the first time meeting Taylor and Colin. I heard all kinds of stuff about them from justin loudon post casket activities oh uh, yes of course yeah he was always telling me oh you should meet these guys you'll love these guys you'll get along with them and then this tour happened so i'm excited to meet them and uh acacia strain is is using their cabs mm-hmm. for some reason i can't remember why i think because dl had quit the band and kept the cabs that were given to the band you know through sponsorship Shit. okay so Taylor has these, you know, the Twitching Tongues custom yeah,
0: cabs. With, with the crosses on them and shit,
1: yeah. Yeah. They're fairly new at this point. Right. They're his calves. Taylor's very particular about his gear.
0: Oh, yes. Huh? I, I'm aware.
1: But because we get there before them every day, like Acacia Street needs to sound check through these cabs. Mm-hmm. We have room in the trailer. It makes the most sense for us to carry the calves. Right. Taylor does not want us to carry the calves. <laughs> We'll be there early blah 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 i've tour managed enough tours at this point that i'm not trusting the opening band to be on time right so i'm kind of insisting that we take his calves sure and assure them that you know they're in good care you know we're this is a very professional band we, we handle everything you know professionally and with care the calves will be well taken care of well packed every day and then we get in the van flip, and I don't think he got his cabs back for uh two or three months after that. God. Well, at least he, at, least, that at least he got them back. And he didn't have them for that tour. I felt bad about that. Mm.
0: But so, I mean, yeah, it's like, I, I, this is what I remember. I remember the tour being announced, and then I do remember, obviously, like, Casey Strain, like, not being on it. You do meet Colin and Taylor you know, which is, it, it sows the seeds for the future. But, you know, after the, after two van accidents, you, you know, I, I imagine are like, I'm, I'm done doing this and want to
1: go home. Um I wanted, they had a, like a, every time I died tour, I think slated Right. slated next. I wanted to do the tour, Um but I wasn't asked to do the tour. I see. Okay. At the time I felt that, the band was being shitty and unfair to me i felt scott lee was being shitty and unfair to me but in retrospect um they were concerned about my my mental well-being because i wasn't well after the first accident right and we didn't right. really there was so much shit going on with the fact that i was driving the van the first one and it cost the band a lot of money and legal there was a lawsuit you know legally i was at fault i think it cost um vincent a bunch of money i think mm-hmm. it cost the band a bunch of money i felt bad about that and um i felt that there were hard feelings towards me sure and um i just didn't know how to feel so it was never really discussed i see between us i just felt like i was on the outs did you ever did you did you
0: ever like end up talking about with these guys like time later not really i I
1: I went to see when I lived in Ohio. I went to see uh, Acacia Strain was on that Hate Breed um, Satisfaction tour. Yes. So I went down, but we talked about superficial stuff like, "Hey, how are things going? Doing yeah, good?" Yeah, didn't, didn't get into the weeds with it. Sure. No, but I, I he did that hard lore podcast, Colin and, and Bose podcast. Yes, Colin Bose, and he never does any, uh podcasts and shit, not long form shit. He'll do like uh, written interviews where he talks shit. Um, but he talked about that accident in, in like graphic detail. It was the first time I really thought about it since then. It made me pretty emotional, right? Because well, because it had gone like when because uh, like I don't think there were hard feelings. I don't think he you know he understood. I felt bad. Um, I didn't know that that was uh, necessarily understood. It made me really emotional watching. that. I love Vincent. He's a he's a great guy.
0: Oh, I've, I've never met the guy, but I've only heard good things. And, and you know, and it's the kind of thing where it's like, I'm sure they were worried about you, you know? Like, I, you know, it, it's like two van accidents. Like, I'm sure they're worried about you.
2: Yeah, I mean, um, there was
1: so much business shit wrapped up in it, too. Yeah. That it, it, it was just so complicated. It was hard to separate, you know, personal shit from business shit and uh, business relationships from personal relationships. Because well, Vincent was my employer but he was and is also my friend exactly so it was It was a lot of complex shit and, and i think all of us didn't realize how traumatized we were by it
0: sure i mean cause, especially because you don't have time to kind of sit in it because they're like hey we got to get back on the road and get going you know so it's like it, you don't have time to kind of be like oh fuck, that was like a near-death experience
1: yeah. well i remember yeah. vincent getting out of the van saying i can't do this this is this is over
0: yeah Fuck. So, you know, you don't get asked to go back on the next one.
1: What, what did you just kind of stay working at the venues? No, because I was, uh, convinced that Scott Lee was fucking me over and that he was, Ah. that they had some cabal against me and I'm, uh, I'm very steadfast and stubborn. Sure. So I was just like, you're not my friend. So I just stopped talking to him. So I didn't work there. What did, what did you end up doing? I don't, I don't remember to be honest. Hmm. So maybe I did work there, but just didn't talk to him. Gotcha. That's probably more likely.
0: You said that. It, well, I mean, you. There's two kind of routes I want to kind of want to approach here. So you, you said you eventually moved to Ohio.
1: Um, you, you sure? Let's been going for a minute.
0: No, no, it's fine. We, we, we're gonna we're gonna get right up to right up to today. It's we nice.
1: right. <laughs> we're we're getting we're, there.
0: We're, we're, we're getting there. We're closing in on it. So it, it, you end up going to Ohio, but you also talk about how you, like, you met Colin and Taylor, and I know that you would eventually do a band with them. Um, yeah. So I guess question one is, when do you end up going to Ohio? And question two, when does when does the
1: ideas for Eyes of the Lord begin? Um, I don't know. I know you. I listened to it. You had Taylor and Colin. on. Yes. And there's sober people who haven't been punched in the face and OD'd a bunch, so they have better memories than me. I know they said said when the genesis of eyes of the Lord was, I don't exactly remember. I want to say like maybe 2013. Okay. So right a little bit after this time period. Yeah. So we had exchanged info. Mm -hmm. So Taylor had my email and, and phone number and I can't remember if it was through text or email, but he would send me, he was obsessed with Troy core stuff. Um, I talked to Taylor more than Colin, um, And he would email me like, uh, do you have any unreleased hundred demons stuff? Do you have any Troy core stuff? I never heard. And I would give, I would tell him about Troy core bands. Oh, Um, sure. sure
0: he's a student. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Um, some he knew, some he didn't. So he was eager for that, but he kept asking me for like unreleased push button or hundred demons stuff. Right. And, uh, eventually i told him like if you want to hear my voice that bad dude you should do a band with me <laughs> and uh, i think i'm uh, pretty sure that was the genesis of it he was like yeah there you go let's do that because who doesn't want to be in a band with the young brothers oh i mean uh, the, the
0: the uh the bastion of heavy hardcore music uh and the contemporary it's those yeah. i
1: was a, a twitching tongues fan i didn't yeah. know until after i started talking to taylor that's when he sent me like ruckus and disgrace, right? And um, the other stuff I, I I didn't know that existed. Um, so he he sent me all that shit and uh, yeah. Well, I'm, more than anything, I wanted to be in a band with the Young Brothers because I figured at at some point those two are going to be in a band that's Metallica level. And when nerds go back and dig through the archives of shit they've been in, I'll pop up at some point.
0: Sure, I mean, hey, it's a good strategy.
1: <laughs> it's it's a very self-serving, um,
0: but, 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 have... but but it's smart. You're you're going to show up on the discogs for them, no doubt.
1: The, the young brothers are my key to having a legacy in hardcore.
0: I I think you already established that yourself, but you know, I, I
1: think they've helped you continue it. Um, so I quit that band probably five or six times before the first record came out.
0: <laughs> Why was
1: that? Um, I started writing for it. And I have, like I said, notebooks filled. I think at the time I had 20 notebooks filled because I write a lot. Right. Um, but I started like cobbling shit together and writing new shit and just felt like I needed to do heroin. So I started doing heroin.
0: Oh, damn. So, so, so you relapse again, like what, 2000, is this like 14, 15? Yeah. Somewhere around there. Somewhere in there. i know, I'm sorry, yeah.
1: Just, just off and on here and there. And, um, so that, that made me nervous and I, I'd quit and then I'd get back into it. And then I'd think, ah, I don't want to fucking, you know, it's, uh, scary putting yourself out there. Sure. It, and, it, it, it had been a while at, at that point you had a yeah, been I'm. Yeah. Uh, honestly intimidated by the talent level of the brothers sure so submitting lyrics to them is is a it's a daunting proposition
2: sure yeah Um,
1: and then uh you know taylor is also an exceptional recording engineer oh yeah and knowing he's going to hear my raw vocal tracks is intimidating so the whole thing i would just go back and forth like i don't want to do it i'm going to do it i don't want to do it and then uh they cut off my disability and I got offered a job in Ohio. So okay. just before I moved to Ohio, I told Taylor, I was like, I'll do it, but we got to do it like in the next month. Okay. So after like three years or something, it came down to a rush job in a month. And I went to, uh, this kid in Western masses, like I wouldn't even call it a studio. He had some recording equipment in his basement, the, uh, John Campbell, who uh, was in swear to God, Oh, but I see that name is really familiar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think he wrote all the swear to God stuff. Got it. Um, so he recorded the vocals for it, and uh, that's the first EP that called it War EP. Got it. Okay. So you you end up
0: doing that in what 2016, 17?
1: I think I recorded it in twenty sixteen. I think Justin put by the time Justin put it out it was early twenty seventeen. That sounds about right because our first show thanks to joseph hardcore ah uh, yes is this is hardcore whose first bands <laughs> or whose band's first is this is hardcore and not even yeah. playing first then we played like third or fourth
0: there you go man there you go love to see it thank you joe hardcore thank you joe hardcore um so uh you know, you, you do this, it's like, you know, like, look, like how, how did you feel about, you know, getting back out there and doing this band and kind of like people receiving you in this capacity?
1: The first show was uh, the best show that man played killer. It's, it's online. Yep. Thanks to my nemesis. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Mr. Mr. Sonny Singh. Yeah.
1: Yes. Does excellent work. Outstanding work. You know, it's, uh, you cannot knock his work. No. high, high quality. It is. Dude knows what he's fucking doing. Um but that was a good show. Um, I got a lot of shit about my statement during the intro about sometimes violence is the answer, and if you don't like hardcore, get the fuck out.
0: I agree with you. I mean uh, it, and it, it's just I mean the thing is like during it was polarizing. Yeah, th- this during that era, specifically, kind of coming cresting off of the mid twenty tens of like such like hyperbolic reaction to things. Um uh, You know, a statement like that that would have not been would have not pushed anybody's like you know like like or not as many buttons like twenty or I don't know ten to fifteen years prior became some like oddly polarizing thing that you said, which you know is is just honestly a pretty. Standard statement in hardcore to me um,
1: I have a less. lot of unpopular Opinions you less. follow me on twitter
0: Oh yeah you know I I, I Agree with a fair amount of them I, I ain't gonna lie to you But
1: I'm, I'm a polarizing <laughs> guy Yeah look I've, I've been Going to hardcore shows since 1986 Yes you don't get to You don't get to come around in 2019 And tell me I'm doing it wrong you can go that, Fuck yourself
2: that,
1: you can 100% Go fuck yourself that is Sit back, uh, Watch I have an opinion but you Don't get to fucking steer the ship yeah. wait your turn that
0: is that is absolutely i mean like that is something that people need to hear digest listen and and, and sit with it's like you know you are a person that has crafted uh you know like the 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 the, the roads that have that have led people to be able to to let's, let's say to drive on so to speak these days i,
1: I, I didn't invent hardcore i stand on the shoulders of, of the people before me and sure, if you're coming around in 2019 you're doing the same fucking thing so exactly Exactly. Look, I'm not going to go to a country show and tell people they shouldn't wear cowboy boots and line dance. Yeah, exactly. That's what they do there. Yes, that's that's what it is. If if you don't like the way hardcore goes, then maybe it's not for you.
0: Maybe it's not for you. Hardcore is welcome. Or
1: stand in the back.
0: Yeah, I mean, hardcore is welcome to anybody, but it's not for everybody.
1: You know, I stand in the back these days. days. I don't want people fucking smashing into me. I'm 56 years old. I'm fragile.
0: Like Like I got very few teeth left. And, and that's the thing is like, bro, I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, if you don't want to experience the harsher aspects of, uh, of the participation, then don't go to, don't go to the part of the room where they are, you know, it's, it's, it's that simple.
1: Um, yeah, So I moved to, I moved to Toledo. And what, what work were you doing there? I was, uh, painting. Gotcha. Gotcha. Painting houses. Uh,
0: ex- exterior, Interior. Interior. Okay, okay. I, I was in a band with somebody that that, that did that as well. Um, did you any like wallpapering, or was it all paper, or were all painting? Just painting. Just painting. Gotcha.
1: And uh, Taylor was very busy. You know, we planned on doing a second record, but Taylor is in I don't know four or five thousand bands. Yeah, very plus many. records and uh, an additional thousand bands. Uh, Nails was going very strong at the time. That they that were, was his yes. priority. Mm-hmm. Cause that's what paid his bills. Yep. And um, so he said when he would, ha- would have a break, you know, he would write the next record.
0: And then that comes out in like a couple years later, I want to say 2019.
1: Yeah. I quit a few times in between then. Of course. <laughs> and uh, he, it was so, like I said, a uh, bloodbath push button and hundred demons i was very involved in the writing process taylor works a very different way taylor sends me a complete song and then i uh you know i fit lyrics to it there's no can you shorten this fight too the answer is no (laughs) oh i mean like he is
0: very from what i what i know is very like this is the way i do it and i only do it
1: this way yeah i mean if i if i told him like uh, can you shorten this verse by, you know, two measures? He'd say, write two more lines. Right. right. Which isn't fair, but it's just not the way I'm used to operate. Because it's already a done deal. Yeah. Um, so, I have, you know, tons of lyrics, and I send him, you know, some lyrics. I put together I want to say about, I think there's 10 songs on that record, maybe 11. I believe so, yeah. Some, yeah somewhere around there. there. And I uh, I put together, I think, three of them. And then um, my brother suddenly and unexpectedly passes away. Oh. And I become a a fucking train wreck and quit the band and tell him I can't do it. You know, I just... It seems so fucking unimportant now.
0: Oh, I mean, like, you know, it's like you lose a family member like that. Like, you know, absolutely. Um, You know, it's it's that's that's a huge you know, I mean it's like I, I know that you you and your brother had like you know like you said you hadn't you know he had like kind of like skipped town not skipped town but like left home when you were young and everything but still like that's that's your flesh and blood.
1: Oh no, he moved the town over. I would go over to his house because he oh had- for
0: real okay I didn't know I thought like he had kind of like like skipped out and you hadn't
1: really seen no, him since you were no. a kid. No, okay. he he moved in with a woman in the in the projects a, a town over. Okay um my brother was uh the opposite of me like really kind empathetic <laughs> sweet um non right uh, and um kind of kind of simple like he took the small bus to school went to a different school than me sure uh, special ed
0: gotcha okay
1: and when i worked for acacia strain he had a a massive stroke that mm. left him paralyzed on uh the left side of his body left him in a wheelchair bedridden and he was left-handed. So he had to relearn everything because it paralyzed yeah. the, the side he knew how to use. And, um, we did a, a benefit to try to get him a good wheelchair because they wanted him to be in a, you know, a regular wheelchair and, and pull himself along with one foot and is paralyzed with the other leg. Yeah. People who pull themselves along with their feet because he couldn't. Yeah,
0: I, I've i seen it for sure. Couldn't for
1: roll sure. with his hands because he only had one arm that worked.
0: Oh, so he would, yeah, it wouldn't have worked that
1: way. Okay. So I wanted to buy him an electric wheelchair. I've never asked anything of the hardcore scene. So I decided to ask 100 Demons um, if they would play a benefit show so I could get my brother an electric wheelchair. Right. And Rish and Pete instantly said yes. Oh, of course. Them uh pale horse said yes coa oh, sick and then it became a show that people wanted to be on because it was a good lineup so a couple other yeah. bands offered to play and um i think we were charged at twenty dollars at the door people were paying with hundred dollar bills and saying oh yeah. yeah i mean, just- at the end of the night when i uh, me and scott counted out the money i was crying because it was it was uh, overwhelming
0: yeah, that was a, it's a beautiful thing. You know, pe- people do want to help their own. You know, they, they want to, like, if you are an ingrained part of the community, then the, the community will, you know, be there for you when it is, you know, when you, know, when you need them.
1: Yeah. So that was, I think, 2011. Okay. So he had that worked. stroke. And then 2018. Okay. A couple so days he, before he, Christmas. He, he passes yeah. then. Um, he so, you nice. know,
0: you, you, during this time period, it's like your brother passes. It's obviously like doing music is not a priority. Um, you know,
1: you yeah, put, so a- I quit eyes of the Lord for the, I don't know, hundredth time. Right. And then some, some months later, I feel like it'll be helpful and cathartic to have something to do. Sure. So I tell Taylor and, and Justin, cause poor Justin Loudon is putting out the record. He's the bass player in the band. Yep. And, um, He uh, is also a very good friend. Um, You know, I keep jerking these guys around, telling them yes, no, yes, no. So I I start trying to to put together some more songs, and I I just can't do it. So I do something that I've never done. I I tell Taylor that I'll send him the lyrics and ask him if he can help me. Sure. So Taylor should be uh, credited on that record as a writer because Ah. I give him all my lyrics, but he he's the one who does all the phrasing for the majority of the record. He has to edit my lyrics because, you know, lines don't fit here. He needs to change the cadence here and there to be where he wants it. So he, he, uh, he edits lines out. He writes new lines, um, my ego, when we go to record, I try to replace most of the lines he's written. (laughs) Um, But some of them are um, just so good that they're, they're just there. He's got to do it. Yeah, I hear you. So um, it was a very different record for me for that reason. Sure. But some yeah, of the, it sounds like it. Some of the songs on there are so metal. Like I had no idea how to. I don't listen to that kind of metal. I'm not a right. metal. My kind of metal is I listened to Judas Priest as a kid. I saw him when I was a kid, Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath.
2: Yeah, classic heavy metals. metal. Yeah. When
1: I was a kid. Um, But, you know, Cryptopsy and. and death metal and that that's that's not my shit right right Uh, His new band dead body super talented just i'm not gonna sit around and listen to it and i I have no idea how to put vocals to that
0: yeah it's like it's like of the young brother stuff it's like that one is extremely musical but it's like i'm gonna pick i probably i mean you know i probably pick, pick printing tongues over that one because for the same reason you're talking about that is a type of death metal that is like, like I like certain death metal, yeah. but when it's like that kind of technical, I'm like, nah, like it, it's not necessarily my thing. So I hear you.
1: Taylor really put that record together. He sent me, um, tracks. Of it. I still have them. I have that whole record with Taylor sending.
0: Really cool. Fuck. Yeah. yeah. Cause he did all wow.
1: the, the vocal patterns.
0: That's, that's sick. I'm, I'm sure people are, we'll hear that and be like, yo, I mean, slide that in my way. <laughs> um,
1: and, uh, at the time, I had a bunch of money, so uh, instead of, you know, recording local, like, I could have probably gone to, like, Matt Caracus and did the vocals. Oh, shit. Yeah, the Citizen guy, it, sure. Yeah, great guy. Um, I would kickbox with him in Toledo. Sure. He, he would beat me up. <laughs> that is, that dude is a bad motherfucker. Oh, he's, yeah, he's a he's a buff cat. And he has you know. the voice of an angel.
0: Yes. Yes. Quite the dichotomy. Um,
1: that. So many of these fucking young hardcore bands singing about gangster shit when they're fucking 90-pound nerds that couldn't fight if they had to. Mm-hmm. And Matt, who sings about love and wonderful things, um, could beat the fuck out of most oh,
0: people. Oh, bro, a stack. Yeah,
1: definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Not just Outlift You. He could kick the shit out of you. But he mm-hmm. wouldn't because he's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. Um, but I, I decided I wanted to, to record with Taylor.
2: Mm, okay. So
1: for one, we could hang out, and so that um, I was just having a tough time with it all, and he would be able to help me get through it.
0: Sure, and you're there in person, you know, especially with how much like hand he had, and like helping the writing process. It'll probably be easier for him to be in the same vicinity as you to work
1: with it. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, nice vacation to the valley. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I went out to LA for like a week, and uh, I uh, I hate almost everything I write you know, like the day after I write it. Sure. So I was just constantly rewriting shit. The day we went to, he was going to bring me to the airport to fly back. I had rewritten some lines and we fucking redid some lines before yes. I went to the airport.
0: Last minute.
1: Yeah. And, and so, you know, you, you,
0: you know, you, f- you finish up that record and, and that comes out, um, 2019 if i remember correctly yeah and uh you know you you, i know you guys play some shows you know you know off of that one and and everything but i want to say relatively soon after that like you know i mean as you have set a precedent you've quit that band a few times i i want to say that you end up stopping once again
1: yeah that was the plan i told him i would uh uh he he had really wanted to play some shows i didn't want to play some shows I wanted to play um this is hardcore again because i was already going to be there for 100 demons
0: right oh yeah that was a
1: mistake because i was uh so focused on the 100 demon set and so um uh concerned about getting that right that i i, I gave eyes of the lord um not enough attention and it showed it's hard in, in my performance yeah my voice was kind of blown out. I just, I didn't give it my all. And I feel bad about that. Was it fair to those guys? I shouldn't have done that. Um, that was just my ego wanting to play two shows. Sure. When also, I mean, it
0: sounds like let's, you know, let's do that from a different perspective. You're trying to be strategic. You're already going to be there. It's already like a, a premiere hardcore thing to play. Joe will put you on. Why not give it a shot? But I understand your perspective as well.
1: So then he, uh, he set up these, like we would play a run of East coast shows and then a mm-hmm. run of West coast shows. And that would be my last show.
0: Right. Right. So, you know, that, that, that stops. And and I know somewhere in there you, you were in, you're, you know, painting in, in Ohio and, you know, after eyes of the Lord stops, I know you end up going to Florida.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And you're, you're back to doing like uh, tour work again, correct?
1: yeah i just uh drove a, a band in the bandwagon I, mm-hmm. I went and got my cdl and my bus endorsement very sick so i'm waiting to get hired from a bus company uh, that a couple of friends of mine work for and uh i talked to one of the guys from the company he tells me i'm at the top of the list uh but they're in the middle of moving their building and, and buying new buses and a bunch of shit. i haven't heard from them try not to bother them
2: sure Sure.
1: So hopefully that'll happen in the meantime. I went out with some band from Argentina drove them for a couple of weeks. How was that? Uh, it was weird. Hadn't been on tour in a while.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and, uh, they also shouldn't have been in a bandwagon they were uh, playing, playing rooms that you or I could play. Sure. Okay. So I know what the flights from Argentina, I was CC'd on the, uh, the uh, the invoice for the bandwagon. So I know what that costs. I know what I got paid. Like they spent a ton of money to tour the US. Well, oh, sometimes that happens then, like that. Anytime it wasn't an overnight drive, they got four hotel rooms.
0: Whoa. Okay. Like one for every member?
1: No, there was like a full bandwagon, nine people in there. Oh, okay. Well, so even two cool. people per room. Sure. Yikes. Wolf. Well, you should, uh, you, they could have done it in a van and trailer. I could have rented Taylor's van and trailer. He had been fine. And driven know. them. And what they they could have got me a room every night. Get five rooms, and he would still save money. Damn. Yeah.
0: Well, it's, uh, some people got to learn the hard way. Yeah. Um, but you know, but like you know, hopefully more stuff on on the horizon. You know, for you there. And you know, I I ima- you know I imagine uh, you know like not. I mean, do you think you have any more musical projects on the horizon or, or is it, or is that a door that's um, closed?
1: So I've been asked by a few bands to do like guest spots. Sure. And I've said no. Right. Uh, because the first one that asked me was a, a close friend. <clears throat> when I told him no, I couldn't tell somebody else yes. Right, right. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> um, but I was talking with a friend of mine the other day and um, the drummer from Missing Link, Paul, he used to be in mm-hmm. Recon. And we have a mutual friend. I don't want to say who, because I don't know if this is going to happen. Sure. But this dude is in a, a bunch of bands that you would probably know, and he's super talented. Um, and I mentioned to Paul, I, was like, I would, I would do a band with him. Because for okay. one, I know he, he would not be able to play shows, because I don't want to play shows. I would just want to... Just record? Know, yeah, put something out for fun. Sure. You know? three or four songs. So he, yeah, asked me, he asked me what style I would want to do. And uh, he texted that dude and he said he would start writing shit. So,
0: well, here so, we go. So, so we have a, a potential Bruce project on the horizon.
1: Yeah. Spotify only.
0: Yeah, it's, hey, that's, you know what? That's in this day and age, that's almost all you need. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh-huh
1: to a hardcore band. The only hardcore band I did was my first band.
0: Everything else has been kind of metalcore. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So something, something a little more straightforward. I hear you. Well, I mean, brother, that takes us to, to right now. And, uh, you know, honestly, I, I think for the, the, the lows that you've experienced, it, it, it sounds like you've gotten yourself to a place of, of, of stability and, and, and peace. And it, it's, you know, that that's a beautiful thing to see. Thank you. There's highs in there
1: too. I just, you know,
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, you've, you've you've done some, you know, it's like I I tell people, you know, this uh, like playing music sometimes that, you know, feel down about, you know, whatever and what have you. And I tell them, like, you know, you've probably done more things in your life than the average person will ever do in their life. You've probably been more places and traveled all around and done all these things. And some people don't even leave the state that they're born in, and let alone, you know, maybe even the town. So it's True. it's like it it's like, you know, you've done some really cool stuff. You've influenced. Uh, uh, hundreds if not thousands of people you know probably thousands of people uh you know and uh that's that's awesome and you and, and you do have a legacy and uh it's um i'm happy just that through your journey that you're currently seemingly in a good place
2: i
1: appreciate
0: that bruce thank you so much for coming on man it's been a pleasure thank you everyone if you enjoy this podcast and want to support us uh, please subscribe to our patreon at www
2: Uh, patreon.com slash forum of passion until next time, everybody stay safe.